Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is a more than just podcast production. Hey everybody, welcome to season four, episode fourteen. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there. We also have Jaime Lopez Jr., home of the Kraken in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Let's go cracking. Let's go cracking. Yeah, what are they doing? Are they doing like what? What's the cheer? What's it? Are they like? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know because they they will not play a home game until uh, the twenty third. So they started out in in Vegas. Um, yeah. So there's no going to be like go Habs go some guy yelling in the back corner of the arena. I mean, I'm sure there is, but I'm still getting side. you know into the lingo, you know. Uh, what did I say? Dropping the ice uh, and uh, third times. Yeah, well, yeah I think third time ice. intermission. Yeah. Yeah. Face off. Face off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think yeah. uh, fill that crack in. Somebody ice is cracking. Somebody had posted how their um, their little kid was watching the game and was yelling "Go crackers!" and crackers. and and. <laughs> Crackers. And me yeah, being the person who I am to, to, to poke the edges of the envelope, I said, maybe that's like subtle race commentary. And <laughs> they seem to exactly. enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> you may oh, have... I even thought about I was thinking I was thinking saltines. Come on. I mean, you know, no, yes, I was going straight where Jaime was. Oh, you okay. <laughs> I was like, wow, he just nailed like in day one the NHL is like ninety-eight percent white. Well, couldn't they get like, you know, uh, sea monster shaped hats and they could be called crackheads? <laughs> that is something that I know that there's some fans that are wanting to do that. It has some uh, not inclusive uh, sort of tones to it. So I, I don't know what will happen. It will be very interesting to see what happens oh, with our, um, our mm. hockey culture here. Yeah, yeah it, it'll definitely take on a life of its own. When's the last time Seattle had a professional hockey team? Oh, man, I wasn't ready for the trivia probably like 100 years ago, I would guess. Yeah, it really? was legitimately yeah. the Seattle Seattle millionaire, Seattle... 
Metropolitans. I think it's Metropolitans. Yeah, because the pilots I think were the baseball team. Vancouver Millionaires and and Seattle Metropolitans. They won the Stanley Cup. Who? Seattle. Seattle. Wow. Congratulations. About a hundred years late. Stanley Cup. This will be one of those weird. you know, did you know kind of trivia moments? I was aware they'd won the, the Stanley Cup. And it's kind of similar to my um, my university that I went to, University of Texas El Paso, has won the NCAA tournament, and they won it in like the 60s. And if you go look, mm-hmm. you'd be like, wait a minute, I don't see UTEP there as a winner. That's because it was known as Texas Western back then. So oh. yeah, there's your trivia thing there. So if you've seen the movie Glory Road, um, that is based on, oh, on yeah. my my, yeah. Uh, my alma mater. Yes, the Seattle yeah. Metropolitans won the Stanley Cup, the first U.S. team to win the Stanley Cup in 1917. Wow. What, it was like three years old, the Cup, at that point? <laughs> no, it was a little older than that, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a big deal. It's funny, too, because the, um, the I'll be curious to see if they honor that in some way, if they're going to do that. I, I, I don't think I've ever been more disgusted in my life than in the 1990s when the Ottawa Senators were reborn in in our nation's capital and this was a a franchise that existed in you know the 1920s and 30s had gone away for 60 years and then they brought them back with the same name and then they started raising their cup banners and being like well we've already won like (laughs) Uh, four stanley cups like no you haven't won a damn thing get out of here yeah such a canadian thing well you know there are people that do that i i will poke at the green bay packers who are like oh we've won 17 some nfl championships like no you haven't everything doesn't count before the nfl afl merger you start counting super bowls right those are nfl championships how about your your la lakers they're the worst culprits of all they count all their minnesota laker titles (laughs) in their championships give me a break you don't get to count those you didn't win them in la they they came with you when you just stole the team and moved it to los angeles and kept that ridiculous name yeah yeah that's some uh, boston celtics um envy there oh wait there's no lake in california I suppose there probably are. I don't think there's like the 10,000 that there are in the state of Minnesota. Right. It's not the right, land of lakes yeah. that Minnesota is. Oh, I see. Hmm. Interesting. Lakers. All right. Huh. All right. Let's get on with the show, shall we? Um, <laughs> Welcome and, to Sports and, well, Chat. I, I was going to say, I should, I should tell you, though, I was, I've been watching can, uh, hockey, a uh, people's history. Um, I'm up to episode four, and it's uh, interesting. And I, and as I watch it, I'm... I'm hoping that Jaime is also taking in this, you know, this hockey lore, so he'll know more about hockey than most Canadians know, right? So, anyway, <laughs> I, when, I don't know. When, I remember the training doing? program they put us in in grade school, where they just spent us a few weeks and just trained us on hockey history, and you know, it's very important. Did they? No, not at all. I'm totally being oh. joking okay. about it. <laughs> all right. Okay. Was that after the moose carving or? Well, you know, I mean, for we had the whole two week lead up to moose day and, you know, so that's yeah. every year. But, yeah. <laughs> that's true. And you decorate the pumpkin with the, with the moose antlers. With the antlers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. All right. Well, let's get into some more fact check now that we've got moose day covered. <laughs> um, Rachel Brosnahan uh, plays Midge Maisel on uh, the marvelous Miss, Mrs. Maisel, which is what we talked about last week with the appropriation of Jewish female lead roles by non-Jewish female actors, actresses, or are we calling them actors now? I can't remember. I think they're um, both acceptable. Yeah. And, uh, I was talking about Edgar Wright. He, I saw him do a talk once on, um, I saw him do a talk in front of, um, Shaun of the Dead. And he talked about one of his favorite tricks is this thing called a montage, which is, I couldn't remember the terminology for it. I called it the Edgar, Edgar Wright trick last, last time we spoke. 
And so I've got a clip here of Edgar Wright's uh, quick shots from uh, the YouTube, uh, where they've taken um, some of his little montage pieces that he does, and, and they're like quick little, you know, five second shots of of uh, you know somebody pouring coffee, putting on shoes, you know, putting their coat on, drop, throwing on their hat. Tells a story in a matter of like you know less than thirty seconds of what is going on in in the film without having to go through the whole sort of exploration of that as well yeah and guy williams was the guy i couldn't remember from lost in space who once played tv zorro tv's zorro i th- I knew him as zorro i thought before uh lost in space or around i guess i guess around the same time but that was on that was a disney production tv zorro hmm. um and he also played of course dr john robinson dr john robinson on lost in space and apparently he, after Lost in Space, he retired. He just went, you know, decided to hit, he had enough. And I don't know, maybe it was just being overshadowed by a eight-year-old kid and a robot that did him in. But yeah, he retired happily and went down to Argentina or something like that and lived the rest of his life. And into the headlines we go with Jaime leading us off today. Dropping the puck. <laughs> Dropping the puck. Facing off. Taking, taking, jumping over the boards and taking on a ship. Facing off like uh, Travolta in Cage. <laughs> That's the only face-off I know. I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. You know, I'll tell you something. The, the minute I heard the name of that movie, I was upset. It's like, you know, talk about Canadian appropriation. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. yeah, I cried the line. whole way through Moose Day that year. <laughs> um. So what we've got here is is not Moose Day, but the uh, well, this was like Star Trek. Uh, sorry, it was a New York Comic Con where we got the new um, season four trailer for Star Trek Discovery that shows you more oohs and ahs stuff of uh, you know seeing the the crew in their new uh, thirty ooh what are they thirty first thirty second century uh, outfits, and they're talking about their uh, their big um, big gravity anomaly thing that's that's. Uh, you know, putting the whole galaxy at risk, and they show a whole bunch of different yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a galaxy wide pandemic. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. You caught the pandemic uh, kind of angle to it that I I did not. That went over my head when I was watching. Yeah, it seemed pretty metaphorical. Yeah, did uh, did this get you all hyped for what's coming up? No, are they going to wear masks on the bridge now? Or what? <laughs> they're going to be isolating their their stations. They're already social distance. If you look at the size of that bridge, you know they're already so they're already standing six feet apart. I just right? want to see the plexiglass dividing all the different seats on the bridge. Uh, set. That's true. On the on the, the calm. Yeah, con. it's a, it's funny because we talked about how they didn't have a trailer ready for Star Trek Day, and and that that was sort of a weird uh, kind of thing to not have. At that point, I guess they were saving it for this. So for those of us who weren't at New York Comic Con, it just sort of dropped on social in the middle of the afternoon. It was like, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, it looks good. Uh, You know, nothing in there really grabbed me where I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see what that scene's about. And nothing also uh, surprised me. Like, you know, Saru shows up and like, of course, Saru's coming back. We we had to assume that Saru would come back to the crew and he's referring to Michael as captain. So obviously he's not there to come back and, and take her captaincy away. Um, I don't know that it got me any more excited than I was. I am excited that this is no longer a a prequel series. I, th- I think I enjoyed the the foray into the uh, whatever it is, thirty second century, as opposed to uh, where they were previously. It'll be interesting to see 
what they do now that they've sort of resolved that. You know, they've made it to the future. They've reunited the crew. They've overcome this sort of big bad in in the last season. Where do they go from there? It seems like obviously this one is, you know, not terribly dissimilar to the last season where the, they sort of had this, you know, mystery of this anomaly. How did it happen? And this one, it's another mystery anomaly and they're going to figure out how to stop it or before it destroys the galaxy. So um, I think, you know, they're all going to need to get vaccinated. I, I don't know if, yeah. you know, that's the next play on this one. But yeah, it's interesting, though, you think about it, that that they've like the my problem with with prequels is, is how do they dovetail them into the actual as we all know it stuff right like yeah. like there's no way that the 20 you know 2020 or 2019 discovery you know technologies and all that kind of stuff dovetails into william shatner's you know star trek the original series it just doesn't work because i mean even even tv and acting styles were completely different i was watching the other one the other day and I'm, I'm still amazed that you know we used to accept that and we never really did accept it but in the 60s whenever there was a tussle you know you would you'd see some it would, a guy in a yellow shirt who looks nothing like william shatner on the on the long shots you know and then come back to, to shatner like throwing himself against the table or something like that, you know? Yeah. But anyway, my, my point is that, that it's interesting that they got the, they figured out how to get out of that sort of conundrum of, how, of where do we end this show? Like, clearly they want to go seven seasons. Do you think, thinking about season one and season two and the story arcs there, did they really, do you think that they were trying to, that they would have just kept going until they butted up against the Enterprise, right? Or did, was this, this uh, angel thing, this time traveling angel deal, allow them to skip ahead to the 31st century and now have a completely clean slate in terms of what they want, the story they want to tell, right? You know, it's funny. I've never seen anything that, that addressed that, but I really do have to think that that was the plan all along because okay. the discussion from the beginning was, well, if they had this technology, why wouldn't you, we have never known about it, seen it or whatever? And it was really from the first episode of Discovery. You're talking about the Abro Arrow, right? Abro Arrow? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, if we, they didn't put it at the bottom of the lake. Um, they, they really would have had to have had a clear way out of that. And it seemed like from day one that they were in this pinch point of, well, you've just come up with this really cool effect where they're using the mycelial network and they're traveling around the galaxy over huge distances and they have this stuff. How could you have that and then never refer to it? But the fact that they wrote that into, oh, but of course they had to take the technology to the future and they were deleted by all the, you know, and all the records of no longer existing and whatever, that makes much more sense. So I tend to think that that was always the intention was to have it be said in the past and then be in the future. You know, it's funny, um, that whole idea of being somewhere in the future and not knowing the actual past because there's sort of a dark ages is right out of the foundation series. Mm. <laughs> because I mean, there's a, there's a dude in the, that turns up in the, in, in the books, or he should be in the, in the show before the end of the season, I would think. It's not, it's not Harry Seldom, he has a different name and I'm just drawing a blank on it right now. So there's a fact check for next week, <laughs> but, um, uh, he has to go back and try and figure out where the center of the galaxy was and where this Encyclopedia Galactica has gone and all that kind of stuff. And so he goes, he ends up going back to Trent or to the library, you know, and, and discovering the, that it's, it, that's where it came from. And then they, the next thing they look for is this mythical place called Earth, right? Mm. Um, yeah, sort of, but, but that whole idea of 
the whole history of how we got from A to B is completely wiped. And so they have to go back and forensically put the pieces back together, which is kind of interesting because you're right. I mean, how did they get to the future and not know about the Messianial Drive? And um, didn't we didn't we sort of postulate or was that actually part of the story where there was some reason why they weren't allowed to talk about it? You know, it became like the fight club of warp drives? Well, or I think part of it was um, not only the Messialial Network and the spore drive, but also the control, right? The the AI yeah. thing that was like, let's just sweep that under the rug and hope that, you know, Doom doesn't come to the universe. Oh, control, right. I forgot yeah, about Doom that. Yeah, doesn't yeah. come to the universe from from rogue AI or uh, the mycelial network getting tampered with. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Forgot about that. Did, did, we, did we see much of control in the last series? No, we like didn't. I think three? the idea was that they, they defeated that... By, but didn't, but, by going into the future, that ended that crisis. Because then we did have the follow up with Enter- with Enterprise, basically saying, "Well, they're they're defeated now because the they can't uh, get control of the what was the name of the data thing that they had gotten the, the um, sphere. That, yeah, that big sphere. sphere yes, the sphere. Thanks, Jaime. Yeah, I think the idea was that once they took that into the future, then Control couldn't do anything more, and it was basically defeated in in, in its time. But they still have all the knowledge of the sphere in, in the 32nd, 31st century, right? Well, they don't, I don't think they knew where it was going. Didn't it? No, but I thought that, that, I thought that the, the AI had loaded itself into Discovery to carry forward with them. Yeah, so it's still technically on yeah. Discovery, and we have the short trek that makes us think that they will eventually abandon the Discovery for... Um, Ooh, what is his name? I can't remember because it was like a character from a 10-minute episode, but like the guy who was fighting the Vidraish yeah, that was yeah. basically the Federation mm-hmm. was his enemy, and he, you know, has like a sort of romance with the AI on the ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. And he was a fact check from before, too, so he'll come back. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Jaime. No, I mean, that was, that's good. There was like a lot to, there was a lot to unpack there. I mean, you, you asked about whether we saw control. It was like, well, I mean, we saw, we saw them scooping up Leland's, right? His remains from, uh, whatever area, I think it was the spore drive. I think that, uh, mm, right. um, Giorgio ended up, uh, killing him in. So, right. um, all that happy thought <laughs> things coming back from the dead here is, uh, news that there's going to be a spinoff of that 70s show called that 80s show that's coming from netflix and if you're the 80s well, or 90s 90s show no did i say 80s i meant 90s, 90s because where yeah. i was going with this is you if you're a student you may say wait a minute wasn't there an 80s show and like yes there was a that 80s show spinoff and and was looking it? at the cast yeah. i'm like holy smokes glenn howerton who plays dennis reynolds on it's always sunny in philadelphia uh he was one of the characters uh Chyler lee or lay i don't remember how her name is pronounced um, yeah, it's Kyler. Ky- yeah. Oh, it's Kyler. Kyler okay, Kyler Lee. Yeah, it's from, Kyler. Uh, Supergirl is on uh, that 80s show as well. So mm-hmm. I guess maybe this either ignores that or doesn't have to deal with that. This is that 90s show, a follow-up to that 70s show that stars, as it says here in this article, uh, that we'll have in the show notes, so those of you transporting home, is that it's 1995 in Leah, or possibly Leah Foreman, daughter of Eric and Donna Foreman, visiting her grandparents for the summer. So she's going to be there with uh, Kitty and Red reprising their uh, roles. Oh, they're coming back. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So uh, it'd be kind of kind of interesting there. They can obviously do the um, uh, the Cobra Kai style. Let's see who they can bring back for a cameo kind of thing if they wanted to. 
Oh, really? Okay. I mean, I don't know that they'll bring well, back Masterson because uh, Danny Masterson. That's what I was going to say. I, I guess that he's not coming back. Yeah, but like, uh, of course, I think, you know, Laura Prepon and Topher Grace make sense. And boy almighty, if they can bring back whoever it was, that dude that replaced Topher Grace as the, uh, oh, the, yeah, the new yeah, guy for like yeah. the last season. Like, I want that guy to come back too. What? They had there a was new a new guy, guy that what? was not Eric Foreman, but it was like the new uh, member of the gang when Eric went off yeah. to Africa or something like oh, that. Oh, but it wasn't Eric no, no, Foreman. It, it, it they, they didn't, be, they didn't no, pull no, a yeah. bewitched or anything. This was not a, a character or, or a Roseanne. Just a, yeah. Here's a new person. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, guys? Yeah. Wow. Huh. Well, I mean, all yeah, I'm, I'm happy now that they can actually use whatever, you know, with impunity, because I can tell you in the 70s, we never said whatever. That was an <laughs> 80 or 90s thing, right? I can't remember. The first time I heard it was like in the 90s, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, that's good. That's good. Interesting. I, I, so what what are they going to do? Like listen to like, you know, Flock of Seagulls and stuff? What's, no, what's it's the, the 90s. There? They're going to listen to Nirvana. Oh, 90s. Well, it's going to be grunge. It's going to be grunge. Jams, be a lot of, oh, yeah. of heydays oh, of Seattle oh, yeah, music. Right. Yep. Or we could get even worse, because if it depends on when it's set in the 90s, it could be uh, Backstreet Boys and Spice Girls and all that heinous stuff that came after that. <laughs> Will it, will the Vista Cruiser be a classic car by that time? I uh, yeah, I wonder what the the retro '90s car will be. Will it be a Pontiac Aztec? Oh, interesting. Or a Pacer interesting. Pacer wagon? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'd definitely watch this. I, I like those characters. I really dug that show. I, I would definitely give this a spin. Hmm. Okay, cool. Will they have the smoking room? I wonder. Yeah, I guess that's. Do they sit around and smoke crack instead? Is that they don't sit around the table and fire up the guns? They're like Free base off the oven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, mm. Yeah, that would be a different way to take it. Hey, here, Kurt Cobain says this co- this uh, eight ball is really good. We should try this <laughs> speedball. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll go next. So a couple of weird stories this week, but I wanted to take them up with you guys because I think these are both really interesting. So there was a story a few weeks ago from The Hollywood Reporter that Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri in Black Panther, uh, was apparently sharing anti-vax comments when she was on the set of the new Black Panther 2. And the story went out there and there was no real comment back from her it was a few weeks had gone by and then the other day she finally came out and spoke to uh or she spoke on social media saying uh the report spoke about my conduct on the set of black panther 2 i honestly assert this is completely untrue anyone who knows me or has worked with me knows i work incredibly hard at my craft and my main focus is always to do work that's impactful and inspiring that has been and will continue to be my only focus so the allegation was that she was you know sharing these anti-vax views and and uh you know was upsetting to some people on on the the set now, this is her denying this through this. When the story came out, she... Okay, so it, last year on social media, she had shared some videos or a video that contained some uh, skepticism about legitimacy of the COVID-19 vaccines. She then pulled that off social media and deleted her social accounts 
and said the only the only reason she posted that was to raise her concerns with the vaccine and what it contains and what we're putting in our bodies, nothing else. So she does clearly have some views or did have some views that are sort of counter to uh, science. But it sort of opened this kettle of fish. And, and I've seen this clap back on social. I saw it happening in the last few weeks. There's been a little bit of a push. I've seen some fans out there sort of saying, so is this going to be the new Black Panther? And are we okay with the new Black Panther being potentially an anti-vax person? Again, these are allegations. She denies it. This is all very important to state. But what does this do? I guess my question to you two is, what does this do to your feelings about her and your feelings about the film, knowing that uh, that this is sort of floating around out there? I think for me, it. I mean, it's not ideal. I'm not gonna not gonna lie about that. I'm I'm okay with separating the art from the artist in what I consider to be way worse circumstance, uh, circumstances. So um, I don't think it will harm my enjoyment of it, but it, it's kind of stinky. That's going to be in the back of my head at some level. Yeah, I mean, you think I think we're all fooling ourselves if we don't think that there are several, if not many, other people whose work we enjoy who also share these points of view. Uh, you know, whether that's a, a somebody who we listen to as a music artist, whether that's somebody who's, you know, work inside the industry is outside of the actual on-screen stuff. I'm sure there are other people who share this view. It's just, it's one of these ones where it seems almost inevitable that that Letitia Wright's going to take this sort of very prominent place at the front of the MCU going forward. And, and to know that there's sort of this cloud is a little off-putting, I think. Yeah, I mean, she's got to watch out that they don't like Don Cheadle her, right? And like, let's just pretend that this never happened. It's a completely well, and, different actress. And she was the breakout. Like, I mean, as much as people love Chadwick Boseman in that role, she was kind of the breakout star of that. And this, in, in you know, people, everybody knew Michael B. Jordan going in that he was already a, a star. And Chadwick really sort of staked his claim to being a frontline star. But she was the one who kind of stole every scene she was in. Like, she was really, really good in that movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a little bit. You know, it does sort of take the bloom off the rose a little bit when you're like, oh, that's why are you why are you sharing this stuff? Like, what what are you doing? Yeah, it'd be like discovering that Simu Lu was like really, really interested in joining like the January 6th insurrection in the United States or something. You know, it'd be like, yeah. oh, man, really? Like, you just started being cool. Like, why would you do that? I'm, yeah. I'm just be real clear. That it was like uh, just hypothetical it's not a real thing <laughs> don't spread that on the internet <laughs> yeah i sense uh, yeah. i sense an aggregation story yeah. <laughs> lopez says yeah, it doesn't have to be yeah it doesn't have to be like i mean the thing is that you, you can i mean you could i, I was going to use a different political party but you know i mean you could you could decide you know i don't want to go see movies if if a li- if someone who voted liberal as opposed to someone who voted conservative is in the uh see how being careful about the american politics but um mm-hmm. the you know, you, are you are you not going to go watch movies because you don't? I mean, like, let's say, are you not going to go watch a John Travolta movie because he's, you know, in that that group, that weird group, um, Scientology? Scientology. Well, so, I've already you know, taken and, that stand with Tom Cruise, so you know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's understandable, but I mean, <laughs> the uh, like that's the thing is, where do you draw the line? I mean, like, like, do we can we not watch Kevin Spacey movies now and enjoy them for for the acting that was done by a, this horrible, despicable human being? You know, it, honestly, it it does take me out sometimes. You know, now when I when I see him in in films, it does 
set me back even baby driver which is one of his last sort of you know larger you know roles when he pops on there i'm like ooh you know, like it does. Well, sort yeah, of throw and, you off. and in that, ro- and especially in that role, because it almost does seem like he's trying to groom the the kid, mm-hmm. right? You know, what I mean, a like little bit. About it. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like when you see him in in uh, what's the seven, you know, or well, L.A. Confidential, or L.A. Confidential. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like you know, in in both of those movies, he's not really the straightforward, sh- you know, shooter sort of deal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also Kaiser Soze. I mean, Kaiser Soze is an amazing portrayal, right? Oh, so, I mean, there's there's never been any question about his talent. He's an incredibly yeah. talented actor. Yeah. It's just it's the same conversation I think we've we've circled back on with a few different artists over the the past few years we've done this pod which is can you separate the art from the artist and I think that's a huge debate that that everyone has at certain parts in their lives as they become you know more reflective of their values and it there are some where I think it's easier than others and there's some transgress, transgressions where you know you can you can perhaps forgive it more easily than others um you know, is is it the same thing to be saying, you know, well, I don't believe vaccines are good for you as to say, you know, I, you know, behaved inappropriately with underage boys? I don't, I don't think those are the same things at yeah, all. But, but Well, yeah, but, but you know, um, without without getting too far down this path, but I mean, like, you know, what was acceptable behavior in the, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s? is no longer acceptable behavior, but does that mean we go back and knock over statues and take away the art? I mean, like the thing about it is I, I know a lot of actors personally and, and, um, and I, I know I can appreciate that when they're, when they're on the set or on the, in front of the camera or on the stage and they portray a human being, you know, behavior, um, you know, you can appreciate the skill that they use to play that character. I mean, like, I'm not talking about Tom Cruise here, because as you said before, he's always the same guy. Yeah. But you can, but, you know, I, I just watched the movie, I just watched a TV show here today called uh, American Rust, and and this one actress had, had a scene where, you know, her husband is a cop and had just been killed, and the chief of the police comes to, the, comes to her door, and she turns on him, and, like, they start off very congenial and they she turns on him and she says you know like you, i wish you had shown my husband as much support while he was alive as you're doing now kind of thing but you know in a very sort of you know angry you know uh widowed you know betrayed woman kind of kind of voice and as she closed the door i'm thinking to myself that was an amazing uh, a way that that woman that actress adopted that that person you know and and portrayed that you know convincingly to me mm-hmm. right so the whole, the whole skill of acting has nothing to do with your political views or what you do in the privacy of your own home, you know, sort of thing, right? Or, or even on the public internet, you know? The problem is we know too much about people these days because, and we think we know too much about people these days because of their social, you know, social networking per behaviors, right? But, you know, like, like, I don't know if you guys go grocery shopping, I do occasionally, you know, and, and I, I love it when you walk through the the checkout lane and you see all those, you know, magazines there that tell you that Jennifer Anderson is doing this and, you know, Megan and, and Harry are doing that. And you just look at it and you're like, really? Like, like, it's like the epitome of clickbait, right? Yep. But, you know, where, yeah, where do you draw the line between the actual performance or the ability of that person to perform as an actor and and their views like what what like do we just okay let's not go see movies made by anti-vaxxers are you telling me there aren't you know plenty of i mean people people are anti-vaxxers are putting on masks and going because that's their job requirement these days you know Mm. so i don't know 
Well, that's the kind of debate I want to get into on Spotcast, to be honest with you. No, no, and it, it, it's heavy, <laughs> but it certainly it does creep its way into every life, everyday life. That's why I kind of wanted to bring it up here, and it it does kind of tie into this next story too that I wanted to bring up because it's it's the similar thing, and it actually ties into something you mentioned, Tim, which is what's the statute of limitations on this stuff? So the next story I've got is about the fact that. Uh, there's a writer working for Marvel Comics right now. His name is Stephen DeKnight. Stephen DeKnight, uh, the name might ring a bell because he was uh, one of the screenwriters for um, Daredevil, the TV series. And he has, you know, a pretty long career. He uh, worked for uh, on the Stars TV show Spartacus. He worked on Buffy and Smallville and Angel and all kinds of stuff. So he's he's got some good bona fides as far as as you know, screenwriting and, and sort of a broader writing goes. He was working for Marvel on a Wolverine limited series. And this week he announced that he is quitting working for Marvel. And the reason he announced he is quitting is because he found out that current Marvel Comics editor-in-chief, C.B. Savalsky, once used the pseudonym Akira Yoshida in order to write comic books for Marvel while working at Marvel as an editor. And this is a story that came out years back, about four or five years ago. This story finally made its way to the surface that this is something he did. Basically, Marvel had a rule in place saying you couldn't be an editor and be a writer for the company at the same time. So he created this pseudonym and wrote comics under this pseudonym so that he could do both. And in spite of this coming out, he has ascended to this highest position in the editorial department at Marvel. And everybody was, you know, a little off put by it, but I don't think it was enough for anybody to stop buying the comic books. And I don't think it caused any other ruffles, at least that that were massive external. I think, you know, uh, a lot of people were kind of upset by what he did. Did because one, it was deceitful, and two, it was particularly around the fact that he adopted this persona of a uh, Japanese writer. And it, it also, it turned out at the time, he confessed that he would do like phone interviews in character as this person. So he wasn't just, it wasn't like he was adopting a nom de plume. He was actually a, a, a sort of assuming a, a racialized new persona. And mm-hmm. so there's some people that had a problem with this. So apparently, uh, Stephen DeKnight was not aware of any of this stuff when he agreed to go to work for Marvel. This week, it was brought to his attention. And when he found out about it, he found the whole thing so distasteful. He basically said, I can't continue to work for this person and for an organization that would employ a person like this. So his quote, you know, was, you know, how does this man still have a job? This is completely unacceptable. I had no idea. I love writing for Marvel Comics, but this changes the equation drastically. There are so many great editors here to allow a man who climbed to the top through cultural identity theft to remain in that position is unconscionable. Hopefully it won't die down this time until something is done about it. I, for one, will be contacting my editor who who could not be more lovely to loudly protest this miscreant's continued employment. I hope other creatives will do the same. High profile creatives need to speak out not only in comics, but in other mediums as well. So this is another interesting one, right? Like... This, yeah. this had come up, it had been raised, Bleeding Cool, for the record, Bleeding Cool is the uh, the website that broke this story in 2017 that, that this, you know, this had happened. It has been out there. It does sort of come in waves. People bring it up pretty regularly that this is something that happened and that it's, you know, been 
something that's been regarded as as in in bad taste and uh you know in a world that is becoming increasingly focused on cultural appropriation and um you know adopting you know other racialized things for their own benefits this behavior is becoming increasingly frowned upon uh the fact that tonight has raised this in this fashion by not just walking out the door and saying like i can't do this but making the public statement about why he's doing this is is a really big next step mm-hmm. uh but it's a really it's a it's a complicated story and it really ties back into what you were saying tim like where does this you know how how long do these things have a tail? Like, you know, is this supposed to be Denight's way of saying, like, hey, everybody, look over here. Let's have this person who acted unethically removed from his position. And, you know, let's let's try and make some change out of this. Is that the best way to approach this? Is that something that, you know, makes sense? You know, I know. like I said before, this is this is acceptable behavior in the in in past, you know, past decades. Right. Like, you know. Many women have taken on male nom de plumes, you know, to to get themselves published because you know there was no equity in in publishing if you were a female. Um, and you know, but, but I mean, it is a little odd that he would take on a, a Japanese identity to sort of try and be, I guess, legitimizes his work. Um, you know, I, I I it's unfortunate that he decided to choose that that you know name and ethnicity. If it would if he just gone under the name joe smith it might have been a completely different story but mm. yeah i mean like like how do you how do you you know you know when i first first went for rides in the car with my dad we didn't have seat belts i mean were we breaking the law no we weren't you know but you no know, where where i mean you know we weren't pretending to be you know something like completely unlike what we are i mean the whole idea behind someone taking on a name is that you know if you if you pick up a book written by I've forgotten the name of the, the person you said Akira Yoshida, I would expect to have you know cultural sensitivities in the in the story based on that person's upbringing, you know, mm-hmm. and life. I mean, that the whole idea behind art, artists, writers, actors is they're telling a story, right? And and you you hope that their their upbringing and experience informs the 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 art, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, from that point of view, that's it, it is definitely a conceit, right? And and um, and yeah, but I mean, do we burn the guy at the stake? I don't know. And then and then again, yeah, somewhere like Marvel, I mean, like, why are they not firing him for for you know for for breaking their own rule, right? Yeah. Not notwithstanding, you know, the cultural appropriation, like he he was not supposed to be a writer and an editor at the same time. Yep. That was their rule. He broke that. that you know, so. So why is he not disciplined or something for that, right? Yeah, and this story mentions that he was at the time, you know, he was disciplined, that there was, you know... Um, in 2017 or 2017. back in the day? Yes, in, t- oh, okay. in 2017, he was he was uh, apparently um, uh, chastised at the time and, and, you know, there was a punishment at the time. Although, again, since then, he's gone on to become the editor-in-chief, so... Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. That, that, okay. That didn't realize it was editor in chief. That, that's, that's definitely something that like, yeah, it's like, yeah, he was, he was an editor at that point. Now he is the, like the senior editor. He's the boss of, of, you know, of that group. So yeah, that does seem wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. It, that's, that's a, that's a shady past. It, that should have been. And, and he says that he did when he took on the, the, you know, Asian uh, persona, he said he did it out of, love and respect that he you know he 
was working in, in U.S. manga. He worked and lived in Japan. He worked for Disney China. He loved that world. He loved the culture. He said it was like homage, not uh, appropriation. Again, that really comes down to intent versus action, right? Which is a murky, murky world to get into. I'm saying he could have he could have written in that style and and about that culture with the published name John Smith, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I I think it's inappropriate in general to to take on a nom de plume that is like that, you know, where. It, I think to Tim's point, I think I agree with like, you know, you kind of expect certain kinds of experiences and different viewpoints to be in there. And then if you're like, wait a minute, is this, I thought this was like a multiracial uh, writing team. Is is everybody a white dude here? <laughs> is everybody secretly, you know, hiding behind a, 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 a racial mask of some sort? Like that would be really weird, right? Like if you expanded out beyond just as one person. And I do think it's different than, um than like DC Fontana or JK Rowling, as far as I know, didn't didn't change uh races of any sort. And those names don't strike me as being radically different than who the, the ladies are. No, I think they were just trying to use the abbreviations in lieu of their feminine names to try and become more uh less identified by their their birth gender than by their accomplishments or, or skills. Yeah, which which to me feels different. Right. It, it definitely feels different. Like I can understand the um, that trying to overcome, you know, problems with uh, writers not having masculine names. So I, I totally get that. I feel like it is very different, even though superficially it seems the same. Right. Mm hmm. But if I started right now and I wanted to sort of start my writing career and I went by, you know, uh, J.P. Gomez, would that be something that would offend you? I. I would find it, uh, I'd find it iffy because it'd be like, oh, especially man. if I was doing phone interviews, if I was doing phone interviews with a, you know, a possibly faux Latino accent. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that one definitely <laughs> crosses the line beyond like just pretending in some, uh, online text form, uh, to, to be one thing is, is, is one thing. And then, uh, doing, Parody or caricature is definitely, definitely crosses the line for sure. Yeah. All right. Let's let's pull ourselves out of this one and focus on the other side of the uh, Marvel stuff, which is the MCU. We got news this week that they have cast Adam Warlock, a longstanding Marvel character, to be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, Will Poulter is going to play Adam Warlock. Will Poulter, people may not know him by name, but you certainly know him by face. He was in the Maze Runner movies. He was in uh, We're the Millers. He's been in all kinds of stuff over the past few years. Famously, he was in uh, the interactive episode of uh, Black Mirror, uh, Bandersnatch. Um He's yeah, he's definitely a face that you know when you when you see him, you're like, oh, that guy. Um, it'll be interesting. I think it's uh, it's it's interesting to know that they're going to have that character in the film, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that ties forward. He, Adam Warlock, was an integral character in the comic book storyline of the Infinity Gauntlet and Thanos and that whole world. It will be interesting to see if there is any uh, 
sort of overlap or parallel or anything to do with that or if they're going a completely different direction but they hinted at him he is the sort of golden god uh character that they're that the uh the golden aliens are growing at the end of uh, guardians of the galaxy volume two he is the one where uh, the, the queen puts her hand on the end and says adam at the end that's that's who this is going to be so mm-hmm. it will be interesting to see how this all ties together yeah i haven't seen him in a while so the the animated gif that I threw in the show notes of the uh, wait you guys are getting paid meme is how I mentally viewed him. But that's a, that's a much younger man, the one from your, what is it, EW um, article. Yeah, it's like, EW. oh, he's grown um, into his face a bit. He's, he's an he's a older man now. Not an old man, but not, not a young uh, you know, kid anymore. Yeah, I think, you know, I think all of us sort of met him when he was a teenager and he was doing the sort of, you know, uh, young adult roles and young adult movies and stuff like that. All right, next up, we have the news that the new Superman is uh, bisexual. So this kind of hit the mainstream media this week, and it was an interesting one because the, you know, the story was, you know, oh, there's a new, uh, there's a new uh, Superman and the new Superman in the one of the new issues of his series is going to start a relationship with one of his male friends. And of course, as these things do in mainstream media, it sort of swept through. There was people who were like, oh, my God, Superman is is now bisexual. Superman's gay. What does this mean? Blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see people's reactions to this. You know, it did, it was on CBC, it was on NBC, it was on all the mainstream networks, got all the coverage and everything else. I'm sure it drove up the sales of the book, which is why these kind of things happen. There's been a few people pushing back saying like, you know, stop making a big deal about, about this. Like it shouldn't be a big deal. It should be. You know, of course, Superman's... So, to be fair, this is not the classic Clark Kent Superman. Superman in this comic iteration is played by Jonathan Kent, who is the son of Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Uh, So, strictly speaking, it's not, you know, your mom and dad's Superman, the classic Superman, I don't know, however you want to define it. But a lot of uh, comments have sort of been around the fact that, you know, in order to normalize, uh, you know... People who are identifying as queer across the entire spectrum, we have to stop treating these stories as stories. And I think that's where I'm coming at this particular one is I mentioned this story not because it's news that Superman is is bisexual and that he's starting a relationship with a a young man in his series. It's the fact that the mainstream media ran away with this story this week and was just like, oh, my God. And then the indignation on social and everything else. Oh, what does this mean? And how? oh, my gosh, what what are we going to do? And oh, the heavens to Betsy, what are we going to do? I... I found it really, really interesting to watch the news cycle just keep churning this one around and churning this one around and people weighing in. And then, you know, I saw a headline that sort of said Dean Cain weighs in on Superman being bi. Oh, my God. What now? But then I read what he had to say. And while I think he approached it kind of ham fistedly, his point was. This is something he was saying, like, it shouldn't be news. It is normalized. Like, why are we making a big deal out of this? And I was like, oh, wow. Surprisingly astute insight oh. from Dean Cain. Oh. Well done. So <laughs> you was, sound surprised. Yeah. And, then, and then he, like, you know, shot a deer on live TV or like immediately afterwards or something. Because like that, that, that didn't go. That one confused me. It surprised me in a, in a good way. <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it is a strange one. It really is. You know, 
you know, there are countless characters out there. You know, the, the current, um, you know, Tim Drake, who has been, you know, Robin and other associated characters in the Batman universe since the 1990s, uh, is currently in a relationship in the comic books with a with another man. You know, there are a lot of characters who have come out later or who have been incepted from the creation of the character as, uh, you know, some area of queerdom. And, you know, it's just so funny how these things just sort of catch on and just start having life of their own. And then, you know, there's the people who are, oh, my God, I can't believe they're doing this to this classic character. I'm like, when was the last time you read a Superman book? Do you care? Like, mm-hmm. it's just really interesting to watch the the general public weigh in on these things, the mainstream media to weigh in on these things and and to really just sort of watch them sort of churn for a few days. But as far as it goes, you know, like I think more and more that there can be this normalization in books, great, but it it has to be part of organic storytelling or otherwise it's just sensationalistic and it has to be part of, you know, normalizing it to the point where when X character comes out next time, that it may be a big deal in the comics community because it'll be, oh, well, I didn't realize that that character uh, had those feelings and let's explore that. At, you know, what does this mean for this character to have realized they have these feelings or, or whatever it is, but not, oh my God, it's going to be on the front page of USA Today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm hoping that they commit to it. Like, the thing I'm cynical about is. Uh, if they'll back off on it and retcon it in some way, you know, leaving it just a gimmick versus like, I don't want purple kryptonite to be like, Oh, that was why what happened, you know, like that'd be really insulting in multiple levels. Like I want to just be like, you went this route. Cool. That's fine. have no problems with that, but you got to stick to it. Don't, you know, don't undo it based on, on other factors. Don't let anybody retcon. This is like, Oh, it was mind controlled by, you know, such and such, or like, it's just gotta be like a part of the character. Like, uh, way down in the comments, somebody posted a uh, DC Pride. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if this is an actual comic or if this is a, a poster or what this is, but like uh, Batwoman, I'm aware of. I didn't know about the question. I think that's Dreamer. Mm-hmm. I kind of understand Poison Ivy, and I'm less familiar yep. with Green Lantern and uh, a Flash. I'm not sure what that what that is there in the corner. Yep, there's a there's a whole bunch of characters that have been again either established or retroactively established, including the the classic 1940s Green Lantern, who is an older man who he came out many years back in the comic books, and it was one of those you know later in life coming out stories, and it, again it was really kind of lovely that they were like yeah coming out is not something that happens necessarily when you're 12 years old or 14 or 18 or whatever Mm -hmm. that this is something that people come to later in life you know again those kinds of stories are really poignant and beautiful and speak to the spectrum of of humanity uh and you know what and i wasn't on the front page of the freaking newspaper because it was you know the the vintage golden age green lantern but you know you put the word superman and gay or superman and bi and people are like "Ah!" yeah yeah with was one of the the very recognizable three. You, do you do something with uh, Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman? It's going to get a lot of news. I think Flash, mm. Green Lantern, Aquaman. You you can do more with those, and people won't won't know it if they're not really closer to the comics area, right? But like there, there are people in like uh, you know parts of the world that are completely untouched that like know who Superman is, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, arguably the most iconic character created in the 20th century. 
it, it's it's funny though because I, I think if you looked at this story, if you said to people, you know, oh, Superman's uh, coming out as bisexual in the next comic, they would have been like, oh my god, Clark Kent's you know bisexual. I'm like, yeah, well, that exactly right there nails what you you know how connected you are to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like Superman is Jonathan Kent. Like that's speaks to that disconnect, right? People are all ready to get up in arms about these things, but they don't really know and they don't really care. They just, they like to fight about stuff and, and you know, well, why do they need to change this stuff? Hey, back in my day, like, oh my God. Anyways, all this to say, it was an interesting week to sort of follow the mainstream media as I, I you know, again, I, I'm in sort of both worlds. I, I worked in traditional media and also worked in new media and continue to work in new media. It's been fun to watch these worlds just sort of bounce off each other. Because if you read these stories on a lot of the the sites that I, I frequent that are sort of more catering to the world that, that we're all interested in, a lot of them were like, man, everybody is flipping out over this. I wish they would calm down. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So speaking of the uh, comic book world, we also got news this week that we are going to see a much beloved comic series return. So Saga, which is a comic by uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, uh, went on hiatus a few years back after completing sort of the first half of its story run. Saga is one of the most acclaimed books of the last decade and uh, really sort of brought a a whole new audience in. Uh, Brian is a very talented writer. We've talked about him before. Famously co-created Why the Last Man and and many other popular series, has worked on a lot of mainstream stuff and worked in television on shows like Lost and all kinds of other stuff. He is uh, a beloved writer and he's a very talented writer. And... This book really clicked with a lot of people because it it has a lot of interesting portrayals. It's set in sort of a far-flung part of the universe. It has very, very diverse characters. Again, we talk about sexuality. There's lots of different uh, spectrums of sexuality and relationships and and um, all kinds of stuff in this story. And it's, it's really, really, really excellent comic book storytelling. The point is, this book basically went on hiatus after issue 54, hasn't been around for a, a number of years. It was always their intention to sort of take a break, creatively recharge, you know, make sure that they have everything they need all lined up to where they can basically now go monthly from here to the end. And they wanted to do uh, the second half of the story, which is expected to be another 54 issues. And 55 is going to hit the streets in January. So this book is coming back. A lot of people were sharing this on the socials this week, really excited. And it's it's one of those books that's sort of clicking outside of the mainstream, too. There are a lot of people who, you know... The number of times that I've been in a comic store or talking with people who say, oh, I don't really read comics, but my friend gave me Saga and I really liked it. Or when I go into a store and somebody will come in inevitably and say, well, I want to start, I want to get some books for my, you know, teen or tween or whatever. Where can I start? That's one of the first books that I hear comic store proprietors uh, or staff saying, you know, hey, actually, if you're going to start somewhere, this is a great book to pick up and, and really sort of dive into. So it uh it's really cool and i think it'll be really fun to see where they take this for the second half and uh and i i know i'll be reserving my copy here on out i i read that one from day one and and i've loved every moment so i'm looking forward to that one coming back a lot yeah i haven't read this one but the the art is familiar so i've probably seen it on the shelf or something so um yeah i recommend it's uh it's it's not a super heavy read it's not you know it's it's not alan moore it's not neil gaiman it's not you know just like you know, meticulous word crafting, but it's very character focused. You know, Brian's really good at making characters that are 
really, 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 uh, you know, well-defined and well-realized and, and, um, this one definitely really leads that. There's a lot of characters where you just you fall really in love with them and you really care about what happens with them and and it's a it's a long story too. It doesn't just sort of, you know, sort of follow a week in the lives. It's following years of these people's experiences and and uh it's it's really 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 good. I recommend. Jaime, over to you. So we've talked about Cowboy Bebop coming as a live adaptation to Netflix. Uh, but the original anime is also coming to Netflix on October 21st, which is, is interesting. Um, I'm excited for, for this. I will go contrary to this article from The Verge that says, so you can watch it all before the live action adaptation. I do not recommend doing that. I am a strong believer in uh, going with the thing that you think is is good, but not as good as the other thing, and start there. So, um I recommend watching the movies before you read the book sort of thing. So I don't know what's going to happen with the live action adaptation. I recommend you watch that first. And then if you like it or don't like it, watch the original anime, which you definitely will like. Just go, go, go up. Don't go down. You know, so, cool. so give us the, give us the, uh, the quick, the, the, the 30 second synopsis. What's, what's Cowboy Bebop about and, and why did it resonate? So it's from that nineties era of, of anime. It's, it's, it's definitely going to feel very 90s. Um, it's, you know, space cowboy. Um, you know, this 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 gang of folks that goes and, and does does jobs. I'm trying to think of, of, of other things that have been clearly inspired by Cowboy Bebop that, that run into it. Um, I feel like Firefly isn't that far off of Cowboy Bebop in terms of, uh, of feel. Um, and it it's kind of un, unorthodox in the the kind of characters it has. And I, and I apologize, like I'm doing a really bad job of recapping because it has been like decades since I've seen this <laughs> on cartoon. <laughs> That's all right. You're on cartoon That's network. All right. So I, I probably should queue it up on, on Netflix uh, or, or just, you know, watch the, the live action. What it, it had such a cool and distinct style that I don't think I've seen too many places take on. It's, it's, um, it's not quite blade runner esque. It's a little bit uh, happier than that, but it also feels kind of grounded to where it's just just a little bit beyond um the 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 current current day tech well i mean yes they do have like spaceship stuff yes they do have uh like bionic arms and stuff for some characters but uh it it feels like you could largely take the plots and put them as like an 1800s western and it would fit just about as well Hmm. how long has it been around like it is from the 90s i'm trying to think of uh mid mid 90s maybe Hmm. But but that that might just be when it came to America because it you know historically back then it would it would be like five to ten years before something would come over right I think I think Neon Genesis right. Evangelion was like almost a decade old by the time it came to the U S. Hmm. Cool. All right. All right. Couple of things to finish us off. Uh, both to do with Canadian actors. Captain yeah. Kirk has been to most, space. Most actors who work together. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. Captain Kirk has gone to space. So William Shatner, 90-year-old former Captain Kirk actor, uh, has been in space now. He flew up uh, on Jeff Bezos's uh, phallus rocket into space this week and uh, 100 kilometers up in the sky uh, and uh, came back down 
on and was very excited, talked about how, uh, I don't know if you guys read his comments, but some of his comments were uh, not unlike something that you'd hear from a 90 year old person. Uh, you know, we, he came back down and was talking about, um, uh, oh God, where's the quote? There was, he had such a great weird quote. Oh no, I've lost it. Did he remember what he had for breakfast the same day? <laughs> uh, yes, it was all over the person next to him. Um, <laughs> Did you see the the meme that somebody somebody went in and photoshopped all their shirts so that he was wearing gold and they were all wearing red? And <laughs> the caption was the the crewmates are all worried about going up with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he was. Uh, sorry, I can't find the. I can't find the quote. It's not in this story. I, I grabbed the wrong story. But he was talking about oh, how. Man. He was talking about basically just like, is this like death? Is this what death feels like? It's just. It's just pure black. Is that what death is like? I was like, is that what you think about when you're what? ninety? Like this is really depressing stuff, Bill. Stop yeah, it. it's like right. You know, right in your face of. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the death is not off in the distance. It's like, you know, in that, in that. I don't know Chevy truck or whatever it is right next to you. <laughs> like yeah. I'm just here hanging, you know, wait, just waiting just in case, you know, it's, it's time. Yeah. But, uh, but still kind of a cool story. Again, he is now officially the oldest person to have ever gone into space. So I'm sure that will be broken in a matter of time, but still kind of interesting that he was the first, uh, non-genarian to, to be, Flown into space, our very own. Also, the oldest actor. Canadian to go into space, yeah. and also the oldest Canadian to go. Well, he'll have, probably have that record for a while because you know yeah. that's a yeah. that's a different distinction. Hmm. We were kind of wondering, like, is he paying for this, or I, this I think this was all thing? this was promotional gravy for Jeff Bezos. I mean, come on, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Bezos took it on the chin last time, if you'll pardon the pun, based on his uh, his phallus rocket. But uh, he he really took it on the chin last time because, you know, he was up there and it was him and a bunch of people that people didn't really know a lot about. And people were like, this is pure vanity. What the heck? You know, this time he's, you know, engendering a little goodwill with what he's doing because, oh, look, he took Captain Kirk with him. It's still the same thing. It's still a vanity project by the richest planet, person on the planet. I mean, whatever. True. And True. speaking of Canadian actors, I had to bring this one in, and I, and I was trying to figure out how to work that into our conversation earlier about Kevin Spacey's, but Christopher Plummer, our beloved Canadian uh, iconic actor Christopher Plummer, is getting an official Canada Post stamp. Uh, Well-deserved. It is a, actually a lovely stamp. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at this story that's on the, the CBC story yeah. we've got it here. On, it was on the news yesterday. Yeah. yeah. And apparently he, he had a chance to review it before, oh, that's before nice. he died. That's nice. Yeah. But yeah, he, uh, of course, he passed away in February at the age of 91. He was uh, an absolutely iconic actor for decades. And yeah, he's getting a commemorative stamp that portrays him in a bunch of his iconic roles and uh, and commemorates his life and uh, and his passing. So yeah, it's it's beautiful that, uh, you know, and the main, the main character that is in the center of this is uh, his portrayal of uh, Prospero from the Stratford Festival production of The Tempest, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it may not have been been his most widely known role that's probably in um, sound of music but i think especially for canadians who uh, valued him as an actor on stage as well as screen um, i think that's a, a beautiful tribute to him yeah i'm not sure but i think he played that role just a few years ago in stratford yeah there was a couple of big names that came back i think colin fiore was there as well yep. recently in his lifetime he won two cool. emmys two tonys and an academy award nice right uh, 
Yeah, he got one late in life, right? The he did. He played for his role in Beginners, which we, we just talked about this, is somebody who uh, who comes out late in life. Mm. There you go. I don't understand why General Chang is not on here. Like, I'm not going to deny that these are <laughs> iconic roles, but I'm like, you need like a little sticker or something that you can put on top of that so to fill yeah. in the gap. Well, surely by now there's a Star Trek stamp that you could just like stick on next to this one and be like, and also, <laughs> yeah. cry havoc! Yeah. And let's slip the dogs of war! Yep. Once more into the breach. <laughs> I'd pay real money to have him shut up. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, it's that part of the show, kids, where we start talking about a Star Trek thing, and this time it's the, I believe, the season finale of... Lower Decks, uh, Season 2, Episode mm-hmm. 10. What's the title of this one, Jonathan? The title of this one was First, First Contact. Oh, First, First Contact. Yeah, well, it's interesting how you read it that way. It's like, uh, I don't know if you've seen the new show with with um, uh, John Stewart. It's called The Problem with John Stewart. And he's like, can't we have <laughs> a comma in there? there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, when I first saw First, First Contact, uh, contact I'm like, uh, what? And But yeah, you'll understand by the end of the... End of our talk here. So mm. off you go, John. Let's hit us up. Is it me? I thought it was yeah, my name. it's me. I, I did oh, not write my name or, oh, yeah. or uh, notes oh, in there, man. but in the in the new realm of uh, <laughs> of of doing recaps, kind of lighter and and less, um, you know, moment by moment. Let's give the the sort of highlights, right? So you've got the Cerritos that's going to be working with the USS Archimedes, which I thought was a refit Excelsior, but the internet tells me is actually an Obena-class starship that is inspired mm. by the Excelsior, but is like if you took an Excelsior and gave it um, sovereign uh, USS Enterprise-E stylings to, to its look. So it looks cool. It looks snazzy. Um, so the Archimedes is captained by Sonia Gomez, which sounded familiar to me, and I again had to go back to the internets, and they say that that is one of the ensigns from TNG who spilled... Like coffee or something on Picard, uh, and embarrassed herself. Do, do you any of you remember this? I, ha- I this was digging really deep into the the lore. Yeah, that's. I don't remember that one. I must admit that's a that's a pretty deep cut. If they got that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it, it it is not a career limiting move apparently to 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 do that. So she can you know she's captain. They're gonna they're gonna work together. They're gonna do some sort of first contact with um this uh this planet where it's like okay you know. One ship, the Cerritos, is going to hang out just a little bit further, um, you know, outside of of sort of visible orbit because you don't want to seem like an invasion. And it's usually the thing is is that the Cerritos is second contact, right? And they're there to set up the communications relays and etc. So they're going to let the Archimedes go and, as a capital ship, go get the the glory of, of first contact, right? Uh, unfortunately, the there's like a like a solar flare or something that causes um what do they cause like an asteroid to explode some sort of rock to explode and it has this yeah, weird planetoid yeah i think they say it's, there's a planetoid between the planet that they're going to and its sun and basically the thing lets out a solar flare and fragments this sucker and and basically sets it off like a giant emp bomb yeah yeah so you you end up with the archimedes adrift but unfortunately due to momentum and and the gravity well of the planet is like 20 hours away from catastrophically crashing into the planet, right? So that, that sets up the whole sort of framework for the episode where the, the Archimedes crew is trying to figure out, you know, how to save itself. And the Cerritos 
is going to have to figure out how they can save the Archimedes, given that they don't want to encounter the same EMP kind of problem, given that their their hull, for example, is um, is magnetized, and that's a problem, and, and just warping around it or through it is not a, an option. So that's sort of the, the outer layer of uh, what would normally be considered the, I guess, the A plot. The B plot ends up coming around... The, and the fact that uh, Captain Freeman has uh, been offered a promotion and uh, Becky with the good hair Mariner is, uh, <laughs> 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 is, uh, is, you know, in, I don't know, she's like somewhere, but she overhears this, right? I don't remember exactly. She's like in the hallway or something. But she's smuggling, right? She's, she's trying to smuggle things. She's, she's on the space contraband. station trying to yeah, smuggle yeah. contraband. Yeah, yeah. She, you know, she was doing nutty things that she tends to do. And she overhears this of like, oh, you know, the captain's going to leave and the I guess Starfleet doesn't like wholesale taking a uh, command crew along. So it would, it would basically just be um, just the captain leaving. Right. And since she does not like abandonment as she, you know, to this day continues to, to uh, sting Boimler over his, you know, abandoning her to go to the Titan. This is a problem for her and she cannot wait to tell, you know, the other folks in the senior staff and she, you know, goes to to bug them in their their lunch and be like, "Hey, guess this, guess what I know," sort of thing. So that's kind of like the B story, and then you have the C story, maybe C and D story related to um, Rutherford and Tendi. So so Rutherford is having all sorts of weird glitchy issues with his implant, where it's like you know giving you the the command prompt warning like right in his face. He like literally can't see out of one eye because it's it's. Uh, throwing stuff up and tendy is really worried because she overhears some um some conversation from her commanding officer dr tana saying like oh yeah she's not cut out for medical and like sees her own record deleted from the sick bay database right so she's worried about like oh no they're like gonna kick me out of starfleet um we end up you know with Along the way, somewhere the crew, while they're trying to figure out how they can, you know, solve the problems, we found out some things along the way that are kind of interesting. So going backwards from the, the C and D stories back to the A story. So Rutherford, the reason he's having these implant issues and these glitches is because he's running out of storage space on his implant. And why is he running out of storage space? Well, because he was so traumatized by losing all of his memories of his uh, friendship with Tendi, that he has taken it upon himself to store redundant copies. I think he has three copies of every memory of her, right, of his time with her. Yeah. Uh, which I think is interesting, because they've definitely, this season, been pushing a lot of the uh, more than just friendship angle with those two, I think. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not even clear that the two of them even know it consciously, but it's like, they're in the background. Um and, uh, you know, part of the thing that he was doing with Tendi was like, oh, well, if you're, you know, if you're going to leave the ship, well, let me take you on a you know, nostalgia trip, you know, all the favorite places in the ship. And that's where they ultimately end up in the captain's yacht, which we'll come back to. Right. So uh, somewhere along the way, I think uh, Mariner and Captain Freeman are arguing because I think by this point, it's become obvious that Mariner gave out the secret of Captain Freeman going to leave the ship and from captain freeman's standpoint she's like look i was going to tell the senior staff when it was the right time all you did was screw things up right <laughs> by by not 
by just dropping it in there like a bomb, like you usually do, and not letting me, you know, uh, massage the people side because the the senior staff was acting up, right? They were like, you know, <laughs> I I can't even remember the quotes, Jonathan. You might actually have one of these quotes, but they were getting like real snippy when the captain's just asking for normal things like, "How are those phasers doing?" and uh, you know, "Take us out yeah. of here." <laughs> Yeah, no, they, there was definitely some good ones there. Very passive aggressive stuff from uh, Shax and from uh, the rest of the, the bridge crew, uh, Billups. And yeah, Billups just loses his marbles at one point. Yeah. Just starts swearing. And drops that bombs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, somewhere along the way, uh, Captain Freeman had like decided to do the Starfleet captain thing of like, well, I'm going to go get in the shuttlecraft, or in this case, the captain's yacht, and I'm going to go self-pilot. Captain's yacht. Self-pilot the thing and and go do the the deadly mission and you know Mariner followed along is like what are you doing like you haven't you know piloted one of these things in like a very long time it's it's a suicide mission and this accidentally gets overheard by uh, Rutherford and Tendi who just happened to be there by the happenstance in their nostalgia trip area right and they realize oh wait like so you know the the whole problem we have here is we've got this magnetized hull but if we like you know get rid of all the plating around the ship uh, and we just go on like thrusters we we could hypothetically make it through it, it will be painful the ship is going to take a beating but we can maybe get through the whole like minefield of debris from the planetoid um to go save the archimedes right and that sets up some some really cool things where the entire cerritos crew cerritos strong i think they they say right that they they get everybody available to go do these really dangerous um, spacewalks with the cool magnetic boots and, mm. you know, try, you know, popping off all the metal panels, the magnetic panels off the ship. Um, I think somewhere along the way, they ended up having to try to get one last panel off because it was damaged. And apparently the only access point is through cetacean ops, which got me real excited as soon as they mentioned that. It's like, oh, they've you know mentioned this a few times before in the past of like, are these going to be like whales? And it sort of is like porpoises, I think, of some sort, or maybe some smaller uh, dolphin-like whale. Yeah, beluga, I think maybe. Beluga whales? Yeah. I think they're supposed to be beluga whales. Yeah, and yeah. they're, they're uh, floating in the water. They've got their, their, their gig. They're very keen on people getting skinny dipping or something and joining them in the water. Yeah, their, name is, their names are Kamolu and Matt. <laughs> they are they're yeah. great. Just speaking in their squeaks that then have the... Uh, the the subtitles and they keep hitting on rutherford which is really funny yeah yeah he's like oh okay yeah i'd love to get in the water but like there's no time right now we just need we just need this <laughs> panel to be removed and they're like oh like well it's through there underwater but like it, it's not flipper friendly right like we can't do it so after it's not designed yeah for not flippers, for design yeah. for livers which you know who, who decided on that when your crew who's hanging down there is underwater yeah, really all right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, Mariner was going to, like, try sacrificing herself here in a heroic way. And Boyma was like, man, I'm tired of your crap. Obviously, you have this problem with abandonment, and that's why you're mad at your mother. You go talk to her. And he sends her off to the bridge. She kind of, you know, kisses and makes up with her mother. And the mother's like, hey, let's just hang on to that. Like, stuff is dangerous here. We, we literally don't have uh, a front of our bridge because Captain Brans uh, Commander Ransom wanted, like to have some sort of way of seeing what he's doing and piloting. So they just went like the force field route in front of the, the open to space bridge while they're all wearing their, their suits. Boimler, you know, 
has to go do the heroic movement of like going underwater, fitting through the very tight corridor, and trying to um, to unlock the um, the I don't know. It was like the manual, you know, manual gauge or yeah, something. Yeah, interior release for the thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tim, Tim, am I alone in getting the Poseidon adventure uh, vibes off of that scene? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the Poseidon adventure. I think they remade it at some point. It was a 1970s disaster flick about a ship that uh, gets uh, knocked over by a tsunami and then they have to try and find their way out. At one point, one of the people does something exactly the same, has to like go underwater and release this valve that's going to save all these people. Uh, that scene is almost like shot for shot. Oh, nice. I've I've seen a Gene Hackman one, but I don't think that that's, that's that the is one. the 70s. Yeah, that's okay. The one. Yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah. And he ends up dying. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and they they do play with that in this one. They did that in the Octonauts too, for the record, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Your knowledge of Octonauts uh, uh, lore is really truly inspiring, Tim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you know, he does end up saving the day in terms of releasing that final panel, which makes it easier for Ransom and crew to uh, to get through. They are able to um, tractor beam the Archimedes before it crashes into the planet which is great um as things are are wrapping up including uh mariner who almost flew off into space until um man what was her semi-rival was it jenny jennifer jennifer it's jennifer jennifer, yeah. jennifer yeah. you know saved her um and and they have kind of a moment of like i thought you hated me no i thought you hated me because you treated me bad <laughs> like oh yeah i guess i kind of do that you know to people that i've uh that I'm, that I'm interested in um and we we end up recapping, or sorry, not uh, putting an end cap on what Tendi's situation was with Doctor Tana and saying like, "Hey, your your potential is wasted here in sick bay, right? Like you're so good. I'm actually pushing for you to have you know senior science officer training." And that my quote of like, "Oh, like Jadzia Dax." Dr. Hans like, Jetsy attacks? Who the hell is that? No, like Spock, which I thought was a, an interesting, uh, kind of an interesting lore building thing. As I take an aside here, like there there have been some folks on the net who've been like, well, you know, they're kind of mentioning and knowing too many different people and other folks like, well, I mean, look, man, we have Twitter now. Like with, with the space Twitter probably has the, the cool logs of what the Enterprise yeah. and DS9 are doing. And I thought it was kind of. Yeah, those would realistic. still be big news events amongst the Federation, right? Yeah, yeah. So I thought it was realistic that like you might have somebody who's like, who the hell is Jadzia Dax? <laughs> Just because she's an important character, you know, uh, from the stories that we saw in the audience doesn't mean that the average person on a, a California-class ship necessarily knows who that is, right? But Spock is yeah. like a... Uh, iconic. Yeah, iconic, right? It's like a, like a founding figure of, uh, of who your modern era is. It doesn't hurt if you live for 200 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think somewhere around here is where we find out that, uh, you know, Rutherford needs to delete his redundant memories and just keep, you know, the original. So it's kind of less safe than what he wanted, given what he went through. And he receives this uh, after doing that and sort of rebooting the device, I think he receives this weird flashback about Mm -hmm. really strongly implied that his implant was not something that he wanted to get it seems like somebody did it to him right and it yeah. gave him false memories yeah nice little easter egg that plants some seeds for next season yeah man and then you know in this final sequence here we we get some some good stuff for next season where uh you know starfleet 
you know, ships come to help repair the Cerritos, help repair the Archimedes, you know, the Captain Freeman has her, um, her first, first contact or first, first contact, depending how you prefer, uh, they get like super drunk. And so she's, you know, happy and she just kind of assumes like, oh yeah, like that promotion was going to come. Starfleet is here. They, they have this ship that's, you know, coming to escort her. You're like, oh, I'm just going to turn it down. I can't leave the Cerritos. This is my family. Right. But no, it turns out that was actually Starfleet security who is here to arrest her because she is implicated in a bombing on the Paclid planet. Right. And they take her away in, uh, in shackles. And that is your, uh, Mr. Worf fire. Dun, dun, dun cliffhanger yeah. for yeah. The, the season finale. Yeah, they did the perfect to be continued exactly like they did at the end of that episode, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah this, this was uh, it was certainly more eventful, maybe a little less funny, but certainly a little more plot advancing than than the past few weeks. The um, you know there was there was the the yeah, the thing with with Rutherford. There was a thing with Tendy. So we get sort of Tendy set up for next season. She's going to this different department. We get Rutherford with the mystery of what's going on with his. Uh, his visor. We get, you know, uh, Mariner having the sort of breakthrough with her mom as well as with Jennifer. And I'm not sure if there's an implication there is, is the idea that she's supposed to be have connected with Jennifer as a friend or as, as a, a suitor. Cause they, you know, again, no, they, really? Well, Maybe? I don't know. Cause they, she says, I like you. And I guess I do that when I like people. And then the two of them walk over holding hands. Again, that could be a sign of friendship or it could be a sign of, hmm. of, you know, something else, which, I mean, they, I don't think they've ever really come down on any kind of um, uh, sexuality preference for Mariner. It seems to me like she would be pansexual based on the type of personality that she has. As she says in this one, I'm a, what is it? I'm a Kirk-style free spirit, and it super intimidates people. Yeah, she did seem kind I, of uh, fluid in a, a few other episodes that I think I've seen. Yeah, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if that pays forward as well um boimler you know doesn't quite get as much but then he's gotten a lot of love over the past few episodes so you know in this one really all we get from him is that you know he sort of nobly is willing to sacrifice himself he almost dies and and then comes up with the gem which is i guess when you almost turn in whale pee it makes you not sweat the small stuff anymore you know um mm-hmm. good good episode for them but yeah it's it's uh it definitely really is uh it is a classic star trek cliffhanger you know we get this you know in the last couple of minutes you know you realize like oh this isn't wrapping up this is this is all carrying forward and we're gonna have to wait you know nine more months or whatever well, they're, it's gonna gonna come, they're gonna have to go and rescue her now because you know she's gonna be wrongfully tried and sent off to rua pente and all that stuff right so <laughs> uh i i wanted to uh i wanted to bring us back. I put something into our show notes here. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at this one. So they, they made a reference earlier in the, in the beginning of the episode when they're talking about, you know, for, uh, Mariner is telling her lower decks friends about Freeman moving on. And they're like, you know, yeah, well, you know, it happens. Captains move on. And she's like, I don't want a new captain. What if you end up with a weirdo who's like, you know, comes on board and has a riding crop. And I was like, God, why does that sound so familiar? So I, I looked it back up. And uh, of course, it's a reference to Star Trek three, where uh, Captain Stiles, who is the then captain of the Excelsior is, you know, he's the sort of 
arrogant captain of this new generation of ship and he's the one who's like oh they're trying to steal that old dinosaur the enterprise eh? well let's go catch them and he's sitting at his uh you know his command chair and he's holding a writing crop right inexplicably it's never addressed i don't know where mm. it comes from but this lunatic is, is holding a writing crop in on the bridge of a starship so again hell of an easter egg well done writers great little drop-in line that that uh, you got to dig for but man that's a, that's a great pull that is a good find because that i i heard the writing crop thing i did not make the connection to the pretty well well placed i mean we talked about this being an excelsior inspired design for the mm -hmm. archimedes so having mm -hmm. that in the same episode is definitely i think not a coincidence given that captain of the excelsior star trek 3 yeah yeah so we've got to the end of season two. Uh, we do have these sort of cliffhangers. Uh, do you guys have overall feelings about where season two uh, went and whether we liked it and uh, and I guess where we're going? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if it has like a sort of Rick and Morty kind of vibe to it in terms of like long story arcs, but there are definitely some some stories growing in the uh, in the lower decks lore, you know, mm -hmm. Um some, some sort of backstories that are developing. It's going to be interesting now to see what's going to happen. I mean, the whole, you know, uh-oh, the captain gets taken away. You know, it's not the first time we've seen that kind of thing. You know, we had Locutus. We had, you guys mentioned Worf. Um, you know, that's not the first time we've seen a sort of, uh-oh, what's going to happen? You know, tune in next time, you know. Yeah, it, it became time, a hallmark of, of TNG uh, starting in season three and carrying forward, right? That they were they were sort of ending on all these cliffhangers, some better than others, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and we did, to be fair, last season, we didn't end on a cliffhanger quite like this, but we did end up with uh, Boimler leaving, right? That was sort of the yes, big, right. you know, hey, wait a minute, that's a that's a sort of paradigm shifter. Where do we go from here? And they did resolve yep. it relatively quickly in, in season two. I I wonder if some of these will have a longer tail. Now that this show's got some legs, they know that they're pretty sort of secure in, in continuing the show for a while. I wonder if they'll have all this stuff wrapped up in a, in a third season or if it'll sort of some of the stuff will sort of continue as we go. But mm -hmm. I think the season was a, a really and it's a real high wire act, too. It was a, such an excellent balance of, you know, Star Trek uh, storytelling and just flat out humor they mm. really did thread the needle on this a few times you know there were times where i was like damn this is good star trek and there were times where i'm like damn i can't i have to pause it because i'm laughing yeah right yeah i i like the the balance that they found in kind of the the latter half of season one and i think they continued into season two and that it's uh it's a little less rick and morty morty ish um and so tonally i think it it's found a better balance of having that um, that heart and uh, TNG flavor, um, but but more on the comedic side that I think I've really mm -hmm. really found their groove. I think this season, yeah, yeah, they've done well with the A and B, A B and C plot sort of idea, like the whole idea of having some long running arcs and that kind of stuff, but to be able, be able to tell two or three stories at a time and they, and keep you engaged. Yeah. Right? In, in 30 minutes or less. Like, I mean, normally you have, you yeah. know, the hour, I guess, 45 minutes show. This is what, like 22 ish, 25 mm. ish minutes. Um, well, this one was almost right. 30. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like they, in general, they creep, right. They creep up like they're, they're able to do yeah. an A B plot and sometimes a C plot in a significantly shorter span of time without it feeling like, like things are rushed necessarily. So I think it's, very compact and uh, efficient storytelling. 
And it's it's a bit of again it's a bit of a balancing act. Not only are we getting these sort of four main characters and them interacting with each other, which certainly helps because you can sort of you know piggyback the stories if you have two of them in one. But they're also still doing a decent job of fleshing out Freeman. They're doing a job of fleshing out, fleshing out Ransom of Shax of Tana of you know all these sort of ancillary characters are getting a little little room to play too. It can be again yeah. challenging to have a decent sized cast. You know we saw that on on something like TNG where they had you know sort of seven primary actors and they're sort of some of them are the whole crew, but a lot of it's just sort of like okay, it's your turn to start this week. It's your turn to start this week. This one they've done a better job, I find, of really sort of intertwining all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Especially as you say, I mean, within the time limits they're working with, and then throwing in all the sort of side jokes and bits and pieces that you know the Easter eggs all the way through it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm I'm gonna miss it. I, I this was uh, again, this has quickly become probably my favorite of all the new treks. It's it's just so mm-hmm. funny and and just sort of you know it, it really does add a breath of fresh air to the Star Trek universe, especially the new Trek, which has been at times a little bit. You know, grim, especially you know, first season of Discovery and some of that stuff was you know, it's pretty mm-hmm. heavy stuff. So this has been a really nice sort of uh, uh, palate cleanser for for the Star Trek stuff. Yeah. That being said, we're about to creep into uh, yeah, the sort of the ongoing as we get uh, Prodigy coming up. We've got Discovery coming up. We've got Picard coming back. So we'll see how this yeah. all sort of flows. If it uh, yeah, really changes back to being more grim. And again, we talked about that trailer for Discovery. It doesn't look like a a barrel full of laughs yeah yeah cool all right let's move on to our watch list then what do you got for us Jaime yeah there there may still be people on this planet who have not seen Squid Game on Netflix the I haven't started watching it okay okay well see this is this is for people who who haven't so I feel good about choosing it now there are people who haven't seen Squid Game so this is a uh series out a tv series out of uh South Korea where the basic idea is that there is this uh, nefarious shadow organization that recruits people who are down on their luck. You know, they're they're very desperate for for money, and they recruit them to play these um, what are deadly children's games. With the idea being that the the last person standing gets millions of dollars as the prize. Right. So it's it's a uh, something that you might think of from like uh, battle royale or the hunger mm-hmm. games uh there's there's other things that are kind of similar in uh, the the same sort of setup it, this is really well done it's uh it's very fun it's a very easy watch in terms of bingeability although it does get pretty dark so be aware of that it is a violent series and uh, my sort of tied to the hip pick is that if that doesn't satisfy your deadly game show lust you should also check out alice in borderland from japan which is also available on netflix that has a uh, organization that is having people play these deadly games kind of concept very different flavor um i think you could watch both and and not feel like they're the same thing um any any comments folks certainly you've probably seen the memes of squid game on uh on the internet and and i very much expect that for halloween this will be a popular set of costumes because not only the easy to do you can do it more or less with things you can find at the normal store it's also very practical having a tracksuit or a hood or a hoodie <laughs> a green tracksuit or like a bright pink hoodie with a, a face mask and a you know playstation symbols on it for uh halloween when it gets cold is, is pretty pretty you know good combo 
Yeah, I, I, I must admit, I've seen the, the trailer on Netflix, and I've certainly seen it gaining momentum around the social sphere in particular this last week, although even in the mainstream media, it seems like it's picking up a lot of steam, too. I don't know. It, so it's, it's a, it is a fictionalized sort of take on a reality-style game, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's where my disconnect happens is, like, I don't generally care for reality programming. And I find the whole, like, uh, you know, fear factor, uh, you know, survivor, you know, how far will you go kind of concept in in reality gaming to be kind of distasteful. So I guess that's where my disconnect is on, like, is this something that I would enjoy or is this something where because that's where my appetites sort of wane? Am I going to be like, this is not for me? Yeah, that's um. That's a tough one. Um, I don't have a good answer for that because for for me and my significant other watching it in our household, we would talk about the games um, sort of as as a like, well, what would have happened here? And it would have been like, oh yeah, I, I totally know how to how to win this game. Or in others, like, oh man, I totally would have died. There's no way I would have survived that game, <laughs> right? So that that's sort of the angle we took on it. But if uh, if reality TV show stuff. Uh, which this is this is kind of like that. It's it's not a reality TV show, just to be really clear. Um, but it is sort of that that sort of uh, angle to it. It's not exactly the Great British Bake Off, right? It's it's more yeah, <laughs> it's more it's more uh, more more dark, and it is like Fear Factor, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, and there's a lot of stories, a lot of shows like this in the past. I mean, Cube was one from the like the 90s, I think. It was a movie like this where you, these people are stuck in the situation and they have to get out and it's deadly. And then there's the platform, which was uh, yeah. at TIFF last year, you know, where I think I think it came to Spanish film, but I think it came to um, Netflix recently as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort where of, my mind went on that one, too, because I remember you describing the platform and this sort of seemed that that same sort of vaguely dystopian, uh, you know, exploitative kind of, you know, uh, taking, taking advantage of the weak, punishing the, punishing the wicked kind of, I don't know, maybe that's just sort of a modern theme in, in storytelling, but yeah, that's, that's, that's right where my mind went on this stuff. Yeah, for sure. So cool. you would say thumbs up, Jaime? Oh yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's something that you can, you can get into, it is definitely a, a solid show. It's very well done. Um, I'm trying to think of, it's really difficult to describe without getting into spoiler territory. It, it is, uh, very serialized, you know, it's, it's one story all the way through. Is it like Parasite good? Like in terms of where the story goes and. Ooh, interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty solid. Up, it's know? not, it's not exactly Parasite, but it comes from that same kind of a feeling that I think is interesting to to look as an outsider of like you know this is what South Korean artists are talking about in the um the the wealth disparity in their country which is at the root of parasite and is definitely at the root of um squid game yeah that was the part that I'd seen commented online was you know like it the fact that it is interesting that this is something that people are really focusing on is the class system and the separation between the wealthy and the and the, the haves and the have-nots and yeah it's interesting that that's sort of a theme that's that's in these two very popular pieces of south korean culture right now yeah interesting cool what else you got for us something 
It's something a little lighter. It, it is <laughs> essentially a 10-minute Rick and Morty episode, uh, the great yokai battle of Akihabara. Uh, it is all in Japanese, so it's kind of an anime as well. Um, it's very well done. It's fun. basic idea is that Rick's toaster is broken, and he needs a special uh, screw or nail or something of some sort that is only made to exacting specifications in Japan. And they go and then have a Rick and Morty adventure. Yokai are uh, uh, like demon spirits, supernatural entities, if that helps you understand the title a little better. And Akihabara is a, mm. it is like the, the anime and video game neighborhood capital of Tokyo. Yeah. So is this a legit um, production or is it just... Like no, I think it's made by version. the Rick and Morty folks themselves. It it's uh, more anime style as some of their other. Um, like I don't know how and why they do these. Um, they uh, Adult Swim puts out these on 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 YouTube. They seem to be actual legit things. I, I don't know if they're considered canon, but they certainly fit in with. They're well done. They're uh, different artists. Um, they 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 fit the style of of the show, even if the art style changes a little bit. But it's definitely recognizable as as a Rick and Morty content. And and it def- some of them are the Australian mm. one is bizarre. Which one was the Australian one? I don't remember. That's the one where they go to the you know Rick and Morty go to Bendigo. It's like this really weird. I can't. I had I have it on my uh, I, on my iTunes. I'm trying to remember what it's called. I'll, I'll look it up right here while we while we talk. But that was one of the weirdest ones. I just remember thinking like, I think it was basically another show and a show that I'm not familiar with that picked up uh, and did sort of their take on Rick and Morty. But it's it's still a Rick and Morty episode. So uh, let's see what's it called. It's called. Rick and Morty Bush World Adventures. Oh, I don't think I've seen uh, that one. Bush World Adventures now celebrating its 10th season. We join Rick and Morty as they seek out the, this mysterious green cube of Bendigo. Will they succeed? It's all done in the animation style of this show, Bush World Adventures, which again, I'm not familiar with. And all with these like thick Australian accents. And, but it's clearly Rick and Morty, and uh, yeah, it's it's very, very, very weird. But it's again, it's the same thing. It's like a ten minute episode. It's all set in Australia, but it definitely relies on the knowledge of the Rick and Morty relationship and and universe. Yeah. So yeah, I think it was one of our one of our picks a few like many episodes ago, right? Yeah, like three, four. I think it came out in two thousand eighteen or nineteen or something like that. Yeah, like a ways back. Yeah, I think these are kind of like the Star Wars visions. Esque yeah. kind of yeah. Uh, yeah, different go, different yeah. artists' yep. take on the material. Yeah, yeah, for cool. sure. I'm definitely gonna check that out. Mm-hmm. I started watching it, but then I realized it was ten minutes long and didn't have ten minutes. To yeah, watch. that's another <laughs> thing. Sometimes the I, I see this, you know, the, the great YouTube algorithm is like show this thing. I'm like, oh, cool. Here's like a three minute short, and this one's like, oh, this is like half an episode right here that I'm getting into. Yeah, yeah. Well, I went with the obvious this week for our uh, watch list, which is Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, That's coming on the 28th of October. It is going to be an interesting experience, no matter how you slice it, just because this is very different than anything we've seen in Star Trek before. It's not Lower Decks. It's not that sort of comedy 
take in animation, it seems like it's much more like Clone Wars. We talked about that previously. It's a little more sort of an animated show, maybe targeted more towards younger adults or teenagers. But, uh, you know, a little a little more sort of a, a younger person's view of the Star Trek lore and universe, but not certainly as as outright uh, funny or goofy as, as, as Lower Decks is intended to be. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how this how this actually is realized, if it is something that is for all Trek fans or if it is, you know, something that's sort of uh, a niche. Uh, I also wanted to mention I didn't bring this up in our in our headlines. I thought I'd save it for here. There was a few more casting announcements made at um, New York Comic Con. They did announce a few more cast members. So uh, David Diggs, Jamila Jamil, Jason Alexander and Robert Beltran are all coming to the show. Uh, oh. It says here that uh, Diggs is going to be voicing Commander Tysis. Jamila Jamil, who famously was Tahani on The Good Place, is going to be Ensign Essentia. Jason Alexander is, of course, George from Seinfeld, is going to be voicing Dr. Noom. And Beltran will be reprising his role as Star Trek Voyager Commander, or uh, in this case, Captain Chakotay. Cool. So if you needed a couple more reasons to watch, and I don't think the three of us need any more reasons to watch, but uh, I like all those performers, and I think... So will he be a hologram too, I wonder? Mm. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm mm. kind of hoping that they have Captain Chakotay and Ensign Kim coming back <laughs> just, just to continue the meme. Still an ensign. Still an ensign. And even better, on, in, in some sort of way, if he is a hologram, he's like, what the... Forever an ensign? That's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean speaking of which you know i saw i saw really bad um bad star star war star trek um i guess fan movie uh, directed by tim rook oh the guy who played uh tuvok um, yeah tuvok but it, it stars walter koenig and michelle nichols mm. and uh harry kim's in there the guy garrett what's his Gar- name garrett wong garrett wong he played he's in there as well as a few other names from and and the 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 goofy uh, captain. I think he was from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, the kid with the Ferrari. Oh, Alan Alan uh, Alan Ruck. Alan Ruck. Ruck. Yeah, he play he plays he plays the the, the you know the, the nincompoop Boimler like captain, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I watched a few minutes of it. It was like it's very painful, but but it was. Uh, I'll have to put a link in here in the show notes. But that was sort of a weird one. Anyway, so I didn't mean to steal your prodigy thing, but no, it's okay. You mentioned Harry Kim, and that reminded me of that. Yeah. Um, the other one that I wanted to sort of tag at the end here, I, and I just saw this uh, on the same sort of thread. They just announced that mm. Hawkeye, which is coming on the November twenty fourth, also high on my to do list, is uh, is going to premiere with two episodes on the on the first drop day too. So I'll just nice. throw that out there for cool. you guys. We were wondering if it was going to wrap before Christmas. It sounds like that's. It seems seems to me like that that might be the the trick is to try and get it to wrap before Christmas. Right. Cool. All right. Well, my pick is for fans of the More Than Just Code podcast, and uh, and um, sorry, what's the name of the show? More Than Just Code podcast more, more and Spotcast, Spotcast, right? Oh. But but not so much the actual show, but the after shows because they often with between Mark and Jaime, they often devolve into American football chat, <laughs> and with you and Jaime, they they often devolve into. American football chat and baseball chat and and now we've got the whole hockey thing with the Kraken. So Brent Goldstein who plays um 
I can't remember Roy his name. Kent. But Roy, Roy Kent. Kent. Roy Kent. He's there. Yeah, Roy Kent. He's there. He plays, He's every Blankenware. Yeah, Roy Kent. He plays Roy Kent. He's also a writer on the show, which I didn't he know. He is, yeah. Um, he, he actually writes his own his own character. Yeah, he was on Seth Meyers' talk. I just found this here. He was. It was probably from uh, just after he won his Emmy. He came on the show and did a did an interview bit. Um, and of course, I think Seth Meyers and and Jason Sudeikis were sort of from the same ilk of um, same generation of, of Saturday Night Live yeah. folks, right? It, really interesting. He talks about writing. He talks about he, it's a really funny bit that they end the the interview with uh, a sort of a a series he wrote and acted in himself about uh, sort of a dating show for pandemic people where he um, starts off, uh, he decides to have a dating show, but of course nobody can come into his house, so he has he dates ball and plant, right? So he has a, a potted plant and a, and a ball with a pair of sunglasses on it and goes on a date with them. And all. Anyway, just it's kind of a funny thing. But but the main bit I put on here was, was when they started talking about football, or American football versus soccer, uh, as they call it here. Um, and he starts going on about he doesn't understand American football. Like you play for two minutes and then there's like a break and then there's like a commercial and they come out and they fire T-shirts at you and then they play some more for another, you know, <laughs> two minutes. And then they have another break and they have another, and he's like, he's a, he's a, it's a genius game. He has no idea what's <laughs> going on. And yet, you know, Americans can follow it through two hours of, of them playing a 20 minute game kind of thing. Right. Um, and baseball, same sort of deal, you know. And then he says, like this, they got this jumbotron thing, which if you appear, if you appear on the jumbotron, you have to turn next to the person next to you. And and even in this Me Too thing, you know, Me Too generation, where things are inappropriate, you have to start making out with the person next to you, kind of thing. Like it just, just doesn't understand. But anyway, it's a hilarious little video. I think you should watch it. Um, you know, just a cute little, interesting little interview of a of a, a British person's perspective on. American sports, right? Especially since he plays, you know, an iconic character in a British sport, right? So check that out. Definitely. Yeah, that that I can understand what he means having, you know, watched the uh the Kraken's home opener and I was a bit lost on several things that I'm sure we'll talk about in the after show. <laughs> but um yeah, I I can understand the the cultural differences if you don't grow up with it are are astounding. Yeah, and I'd like sure. to tag up our episode, uh, bookend it nicely by saying the Kraken won their very first game tonight. They beat the Nashville Predators 4-3. Congratulations to you, Jaime, and your beloved adopted home. Thank you. Thank you. Right. And they carry on the tradition. They're going to go for their second Stanley Cup. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Seattle, city right. of champion that one time in 1917. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, people want to get in touch with you. How would they do that? Uh, you can always find me on Twitter and Instagram. It's at JPK News. And hi, if people want to get in touch with you. I'm on Twitter. It's at Dev with the Hair. Right. And I'm, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. And you will find me on the Twitter machine. And that's where I'll hang out. And until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. 
You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Starship. What do you need a riding crop on a spaceship well, for? Well, if you're if you're if you're a horse rider person and you have, did he, does he have long boots on too? No, like, he's wearing a Star Trek uniform. Okay, but no no riding boots. Yeah, I don't remember mm-hmm. what his um you know his go to warp signature thing. I don't you know engage or punch it or yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he's got the riding crop. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what his was, but I, yeah, I can't think yeah. of what else he'd use that for. You know. Oh my gosh, that's just, honestly, it's one of those ones in the moment I was like, that's kind of weird. It never really sort of dwelled on my brain, and now it's just never going to leave. Hmm. There are five lights and a man with a riding crop! Yeah, I don't know if it was yes. like a weird power move thing of like, you know, you're in a, a tense confrontation with, um, you know, like the Klingons or something, and you just got to be like... I will beat you with this. And like, what, what, what are you doing? We're like, starship. No, no. I'm going to have my engineers find a way to either bring you over here or bring me over there. I'm going to beat you <laughs> with this club. Because <laughs> I'm tired of your nonsense. Yeah. This is wow. the same guy who was like so confident at one point. He's like filing his nails while he was like dismissing the, the Enterprise as this old dinosaur, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just crushes that scene. It's so funny. Jaime, did you catch up on uh, Foundation? No, I will probably see that and several other Apple TV Plus shows. I'm not currently subscribing. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so Ted Lasso (laughs) Season 2 is on the list. Um, Yep. uh, You should should catch up on that one before it gets spoiled because there's just a matter of time before the spoilers start. Yeah, did you watch the last one yet, John? Yeah, actually, yeah, Sherry and I talked about it. Which should we wait until uh, until Xavier comes back and yeah. and uh, when he was headed back off to uh, the wilds of, of Riverdale, we decided, you know what, let's just watch it. So we watched it, and mm. uh, yeah, it's right. definitely lots of lots of stuff happens in that last episode. That's all I'll say. Lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't too thrilled about the end of it. Well, I, I you're didn't... not supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be building towards the future, just like this one uh, for, for Lower Decks, right? It's about building for season three, yeah, four, whatever. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, Foundation, though, I'm really I'm really digging it. I'm, I'm actually really enjoying it. Again, I, I think it helps that I'm coming in with a bit more of a cleaner slate. Uh, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. certainly pulling at any threads. I'm really just trying to enjoy the show for what it is. But I find that the... The acting is interesting. I find that the the sort of puzzle box of it is kind of interesting, and I find that the um, the visuals are really, really interesting and unique. It's it's definitely not a sci-fi world that I'm. I don't feel like it's derivative in in a lot of ways. So much sci-fi, especially sci-fi that's building on its own canon, is so derivative. This is something that's very you know the technology seems unique. The the look, the costumes, the hair. It really does feel like something different, which is kind of nice. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely I'm looking forward to seeing where it continues to go. Hmm. Are you staying up to date on it? Which one? You Foundation. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm all caught up. And are you enjoying it? Yeah, or are you, you still pulling the threads? Uh, 
it's it's okay. It's okay. I think I think it's diverged. I actually want to go back and find an an audio uh, copy of the books and just sort of sit down and re reabsorb them. I because I mean they were very very much written in the style of like I said before the you know sort of 50s 60s pulp uh, fiction right so um so there's probably a lot of a lot of loose ends that they're sort of taking liberties with you know yeah so the the general gist of it is is pretty uh, pretty much the same right mm-hmm. and i think they're going to they're going to thaw out a character as based on what i saw in the yeah. um and seen there on the last episode, right? So yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see where they uh, where they go with this. I, as I say, I, I don't come in with the the institutional knowledge or all the expectations that you know. When we talk about that, we talked about Wheel of Time. We talked about so many of these things that are based on you know beloved books mm-hmm. or beloved comic books or beloved properties. And certainly, I have biases based on my uh, sort of deep. Uh, well of of comic book knowledge where you know oh that's you know they've actually changed that for the better they changed that for the worse um mm-hmm. but i find with the foundation because i am sort of sort of free of that i find that i'm able to just sort of sit back and be like well where are we going yep yep it is it is a little bit um devoid of humor that is the one thing it's not like game of thrones was very dark and very you know savage at times and stuff like that but there was always those sort of moments of levity this one's been pretty heavy like there hasn't really been yeah. a lot of like ha 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 yet at all. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's hard to see where it's going to go. Like I said, you know, it could uh, could end up being like a quite long running series, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess we'll see. It's hard to say. Obviously, with these streaming services, you never know how these things are performing up to the expectations. And it doesn't look like it's a cheap show. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. I, yeah, I, I mean, you know, the whole empire. Uh, character mm. is a bit strange, but you know, yeah. Like I said, yeah. I think it was. I think the story was a bit more. I mean, I went back and I recently went back and like within the last ten years, went and finished the rest of the uh, the. Uh, I think they're called Galactic series because there was actually the Foundation series and then there was the Robot series books, and then you know he went back and before he died he did a couple of prequels and sort of tied everything together, and then. Um, there was also a galactic series where he talks about the sort of the evolution of the found of of the the empire over various planets, right? Because mm. um, each planet, like in in Robots of Dawn, each planet has a sort of it's almost like a different country sort of thing. Like you know, countries have differences, cultural differences. Sure, sure. Um, he explores that because you know people like on Earth the Earth becomes so uh, radiated and, and um, you know, the ozone layer is completely gone or whatever. The, the basically, humans have destroyed their own atmosphere that they all live underground in caves, right? So the first the first story is called Caves of Steel, and it's about, you know, um, this, uh, this detective who, you know, does, um, explores things, um, has, a, has a crime to solve. Um, sort of similar to what iRobot, right? But, um, the movie, but he's sort of solving this, this thing as, you know, um, I guess that's actually, that's where the Will Smith character comes from, is from Case of Steel, now I think about it. Um, and then the Robots of Dawn is the third book, but in this one, they, he, they, they go to another, he, the same Earth detective goes to another planet and, you know, has to deal with the people in that planet sort of thing. And, and they're sort of the more advanced, you know, planet, they're the... They're like the LA of planets, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's where all the money is and stuff like that, right? Hmm. And sort of the, part of the whole Asimov, you know, universe, um, different planets have different sort of levels of, of wealth and success and stuff like that. And it's basically people 
have ruined Earth so much that they had to go and find and populate other planets, right? So yeah, well, it's a, it's a familiar, well-worn tale in uh, in science fiction, right? Well, it's also in human history too. Like yeah. you know, we didn't, we couldn't, you know, overpopulate we, Europe. We found the new world, a new world, and we let, yeah, 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 go to the new world and exploit that. And you know, the the same thing with the the indigenous folks here migrated over from Asia, you know, because mm-hmm. they had to follow the follow the herds, right? Mm-hmm. So. Who kept running away because they quit try, kept trying to kill them, right? <laughs> Pretty soon we'll be chasing those yeah. space whales out into space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, we'll never know, but it's <laughs> fun for sure. Yeah, it's, it's good to see where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. See, I mean, they have hit on some of the points, right? There should be there should be a, a historian character that comes up, you know, at some some point in the in the first series, I would think, because he plays a sort of pivotal role in in future books, right? Yeah, I think it'll be. Uh... I think it's one of the parts of the storytelling, and I, I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say that it it just t- it's a long story. It takes a period over a long period of time. I, I think that's an interesting part of it. I think that's part of what is drawing me to it is the fact that it's it's not just you know again a, a week in a life or a year in a life. It's years. It's generations. It it sort of is telling this yeah. very sweeping, grand story, and the yeah. way that it's sort of connecting it through all these different threads is it's, it's well well done to me. Interesting. Well, and I suppose you could sort of pull it apart too, like this—the main character in, in episode two and three, I think it is. What are we? Th- are we three episodes four. in? Four. Yeah. Four. Yeah. So three and four, I guess. The main character there. Um, She's—is she like the first generation of the people who who landed on Trantor? Because it's supposed to be fifty years in the future. That one, right? Um, from where the story starts. But, so I mean, like, are her parents people that came over on the on the original voyage, mm. right? Sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, you got the the pompous, you know, aristocrats, and yep. as you typically do, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. I, again, it's enough. It's enough that I'm probably going to still hold on. I, I thought, you know, when Ted Lasso got to the end of its season, that I might pull the plug on Disney Plus or Disney Plus, Apple TV mm, Plus, really? for a while, just because I'm not watching a lot of other stuff. I've sort of dipped into a few areas, but I thought, oh, you know, I can I could certainly take a break, but I, I think I'll probably hold on to the end of the season. Have you watched C and and um, and uh, Morning Show? I haven't watched C. I haven't and watched Servant. Morning Show, and I haven't watched uh, the one you guys recommended, the uh, one in the video game uh, world, Mythic Quest. The... Oh Mythic yeah, Quest. yeah, that's Mythic the other Quest. one. Those, those also, three are sort of on my radar too. of like, well, maybe while I still have it, I'll dip in. It's just uh, it's finding the time because you know they, they they're both into multiple seasons now, and it's sort of yeah. Servant is pretty interesting too. That's two seasons in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The new Tom Hanks movie looks interesting too. It's sort of uh, Chappy meets uh, the Postman. That's next week, I think. It's coming. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. Finch, Finch. Is that what's called? Finch. Yeah. Yeah, I watched uh, the sixth um, Star Wars Visions today. Mm. Interesting style. Yeah, yeah, and of course, yeah. I think just to follow up on what we were talking about before, I have my subtitles on, so the the surprisingly the 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 audio is in English. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because the um, we watched those first two in English, and I was like, oh, they've got like a list actors to do the voices. Like this is pretty great voice cast to the first few episodes and then i was like this mm. is weird and then we went back and watching in japanese i'm like actually this I, just clicks better in my head uh but of course they're they're japanese voice actors and they may be famous japanese voice actors but i wouldn't know the, the, the difference but um but i am curious having watched a few of them in english and seen you know uh, allison brie and and neil patrick harris and and you know other sort of famous voices i'm curious to know who else did the the later ones too i i'm meant to right. look that up 
Let's see, so you're on six, so cool. you watched the Astro Boy Mega Man one. So the next one, The Elder, I think is one of the, the more solid ones. That's one of the ones I liked out of the second half of uh, Star Wars Visions. Number seven. Which one is that? You said you just watched six, right? T-O, T-Zero, or T-O, T-O-B-1? Yeah, yeah, the little kid. Yeah, yeah the, the little robot who wants to be a Jedi, mm-hmm. right? Have you watched them? So what style is that? Like, have you yeah, that, watched one that one reminds me of uh, Mega Man, if you've played the video games, or Astro Boy, mm-hmm. if right. you're aware yeah. of the yeah. 1950s anime. Yeah, the, the old man and the Astro, yeah, the Astro Boy one is pretty close mm-hmm. to that one, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I used to watch, I haven't seen the movie Astro Boy, but I watched it, used to watch the cartoon. Yeah, the dubbed cartoons were here when I was a kid. We used to watch that all the time at the cottage. Mm-hmm. Astro Boy, Astro Boy. It was one of the cheesier sides of that. You used to watch Ultraman on TV in the afternoons after school. Nice. Yeah, I was always fond of uh, Battle of the Planets, which is uh, Gachaman in, in Japanese. Mm. Oh, cultural appropriation. <laughs> Back in the good old days. Uh, yeah. Hmm. And for anybody who's uh, really excited, as I am, feel free to tune in uh, starting on October the 26th for the second season of the Canadian Health Information Podcast ready for a excellent season two we have now completed uh the first four episodes in english and french and are uh, gearing up for a busy fall of, of podcast goodness i didn't realize you guys were chips like erica we are as a matter yeah. of fact that's that's our that's our acronym we we did a, a big scam when we first sort of launched it that was the idea of doing the uh the uh acronym was was one of our uh our previous Communication team members came up with that, and we were like, that is genius. Absolutely, we're going to be the chip. <laughs> so, hmm. yep. Yeah, we were cool. a couple of really good ones to start. We've got uh, the first ones we did interviews with um, a, a pair of one in English, one in French, uh, indigenous uh, health experts to talk about the state of indigenous health in, in Canada. And then we did uh, the second episode, we've done interviews with Andre Picard, the Global Mail columnist, talking about how he uses uh, new technologies to uh, reach his audiences and the ethics of reporting information on the uh, social media and the internet. It's, yeah, it's cool. Hmm. We're going some cool places this season, kids. Tune in. Chips. The chip. Wherever you get your podcast. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to know, and by the way, if anybody is listening to this, if God forbid Tim includes this in the podcast, if if, if anybody is, there's an overlap <laughs> between the Spotcast, MTJC, and uh, Chip crowds, I, I would love to know that you're out there. We we don't even know if there's an overlap between MTJC and Spotcast, but yeah, I think there is. I've seen a few comments in our, in our friends of the show Slack where people are uh, yeah? sharing stuff back mm. and forth. Mm. I know that we happen to have one fan of both shows currently in your home. Cool. He's also he's behind on his episodes, though. He's always, uh, uh, you know, in the camp of uh, Jaime is actually a computer-generated character. <laughs> is he? Oh. Just, uh... There is no dev with the hair. He was asking me how tall you are, Jaime, the other I day. I am 5'7 uh, to the top of my skull. I... <laughs> because, because people get confused and assume I'm much taller. The hair adds, depending how long it is, you're talking three to five inches. Yeah. <laughs> so I might hypothetically really appear to you to be six feet if you're, you know, if I've let my hair grow long and... Uh, so does your hair touch the top of your car, like the hood of that, your car? The, the, the roof, uh, yeah, that, that, yeah, that becomes a time, yeah. like a cat's whiskers, and I realize there's limited space here, and I need to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, I very rarely drive with my hat on because I used to, cars used to have they used to have sunroofs and the 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 so the roof interior roof would be lower, right? So well, I have the opposite problem of you, Jaime, because I'm legitimately in real life six foot two, but I'm bald as an eagle, so uh, I have. I was going to say, how much taller does your hair make? Well, that's it. Both my sons, like, I mean, my younger son is legitimately taller than me now uh, at sixteen, but mm. uh, even uh, Xavier, my older son, is is uh optically looks pretty tall just because he's got a, a really good head of hair on him and he's about the same size as me so he he just looks taller which you know good for him mm. Mm. also i'm shrinking i'm told the boys remind me of that constantly well how old are you now you're in your 40s oh yeah you're definitely shrinking now i'm like thanks thanks guys really <laughs> <laughs> start measuring the uh the space between your vertebra as uh yeah yeah i i go to sleep on a rack every night trying to keep up with these two <laughs> wow I would honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. I was just uh, doing something with my younger son this week, and and he's starting to like just ever so slightly look down when he looks at me. I'm like, damn it! I think he might have uh, he might have clipped past. I knew he was he was already six three. I think he's getting closer to six four, which is just insane. Hmm. Wow. Yep. He's a big one. Wait, parting question to help my hockey enjoyment because it's probably hard to Google. So I'm unclear on the legality of catching the puck as seems to happen quite a lot compared to yes, yeah. uh, a, a soccer style boot as as the the kraken lost to the other night and uh and yeah. whether or not it is possible and legal to do a soccer style header of the puck into the net even though that's obviously ill-advised the puck has gone into the net off of the back of people. It's bounced in off of referees. Yeah. It's it's like it is possible. It, it has gone on people's faces, like legitimately. Yeah, like I don't. I don't think you're. The yeah, there, there was a rule at one point. You're not allowed to direct it with your foot. Like you're not allowed to kick it into the net. You, you are allowed thing, to but, direct but, it with your foot. You're not allowed to make a kicking yeah. motion. Yeah, you can't. Your foot can't mm-hmm. move. Um, and the catching thing is like a it's a defensive play obviously a lot of times people will catch the puck and drop it to their stick that that's a legal move but you're not allowed to throw it to somebody or, yeah you're not allowed to pass or, it with your hand and you're not allowed to if you catch it your responsibility is to immediately put it back down onto the ice so you can reach up and you yeah. can catch only it only goalkeepers can hold but it but you only immediately have to put it back down on the ice you basically have a you know a, a second or a second or two grace period from the referee anything longer than that they'll call you for delay of game because you're essentially yeah. just skidding around holding the puck, which obviously is both unsafe because people will take a swing at you and also uh, is pretty sketchy because obviously puck's not on the ice, you can't play it. So. I see. Yeah, and rules have, rules have been changed over the years because of, because of players who take advantage of them. Like, for instance, if you... Like, it, you can imagine it's very easy to make the mistake of firing the puck over the, over the glass, mm-hmm. right? Um, but there was a goaltender in the 60s named Gump Worsley who would regularly, we call it clearing the zone. When when the puck comes into the defensive zone, the, the defensive team tries to get it out over the blue line so that you know, the advancing team has to go back out before they can bring the puck back in again, right? So we call that, that whole sort of series of getting it out is clearing the zone, right? Um, but what he used to do to clear the zone is he would take the puck and he would fire it up over the glass, Right just you know as a defensive move in his mind it was just get it out of the zone and then they can't score on me kind mm-hmm. of thing right so now it's now you get a delay of game penalty if you fire if you even accidentally fire the puck out of your own zone over the glass right 
Um, so there's there's a lot of weird rules like that. Like the one thing you you've missed is um, <clears throat> again, if you watch the the um, hockey, the people's history, you'll you'll know that initially the forward pass was was an illegal move because it was based on hockey was also based a bit on rugby, right? Uh, which is why we have body checking and and it used to be that you had to pass the puck behind you. You couldn't like you could skate up and you could throw it to somebody who was like you know some degrees behind you, but you couldn't pass it forward. They brought they changed that rule sometime in the fifties or sixties, I think, right? And then they had a two line pass rule where you couldn't pass the puck across two blue lines or two lines. I think it yeah, was like any the, two the lines center on the red ice, line. The blue lines are the red line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they they've eliminated that, right, John? We don't have that two line rule anymore. No, you can make a breakout pass across the two lines. And that's that's to increase squeeze scoring. Like, you know, ten years ago or so, they reduced the size of goal equipment to make it easier to score because they were finding that goal equipment was getting out of hand. Well, and, the nineteen nineties you know, were really between like ninety five and two thousand five was kind of a dark age for the NHL because they were. The goalies were the most talented they'd ever been. Yeah. The technology was the best it had ever been, and the equipment was the best it had ever been, and it became really, really hard for anyone to score. So in the 1980s, to win the scoring championship as a player, you had to have like 100, 150. Wayne Gretzky scored 214 points in a season once to win the scoring title. By the time we got to like 2002, people were winning the title with like 90 points you know maybe pushing close to 100 like it was really cratering mm. that's like what 80 games or something 82 like that two games yeah so yeah they really had to focus on like well how can we open the game back up how can we do things to increase the competitiveness and give people what they want they you know people like seeing their goalie get a shadow but not every damn game yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's not like like soccer. You know how soccer you can have nil nil games, and you can and people are totally happy with that, right? In in hockey, um, they people want to see scores, they, they want to see goals, but but not, unlike basketball, where it's like ridiculous, right? You know, um, like I can't follow a basketball game because like you know it'll be like thirty five to forty two, and and like it's still a close game because it's going to end up like a hundred and something, whatever, yeah. right? Um, whereas in hockey, you know, you can, you can win a game by scoring one goal, right? Um, and it's, and I've played many a game where the score was one, nothing, you know, and, or like, you know, if we, if we, if I played a game and and we lost three to nothing, I would remind my players we lost when they scored the first goal. Cause you guys didn't score a second goal. Yeah. Right. So it didn't matter how many goals they could get 20 goals. The first goal is the one you needed to beat me. Right. To win. Right. So, Yeah. So it's like like uh, I always remind people too that the puck is made of rubber; it bounces. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 like the football. That's the exact thing about football, right, Jaime? Like a football is a weird shape for a reason. It is supposed to be unpredictable. It is supposed to do weird things. It's supposed to make the game that much more challenging, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'll 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 see the it, just given the first two games for the Kraken. So they they have scored seven goals. They've also allowed seven mm-hmm. goals, which is why they're one mm-hmm. and one. Um, yeah, I yeah. I will eventually see some defense. I think, but I do not understand <laughs> what defense even looks like in a hockey game, considering that I've seen. Like, well, it doesn't a ton matter how goals. many goal, It doesn't matter how many. It doesn't matter how many goals you score in total, or how many goals against you 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 let in. Right? You only need one goal to win a game. Yeah, but the measure right? of a quality hockey club is that generally you have 
a higher goal scored than goals against, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you want a, a basically a broad look at how well your team is doing, obviously there's points in the standings, there's how they rate against their competitors in their group and everything else. But if you want to know broadly, is my team you know, doing better than worse, usually that's a good metric is, are we scoring more than we let in? What's a general plus minus for, what's a general plus minus for, for a player? Like, uh, I mean, it depends. Usually the, the winner of the plus minus. So a plus minus, I don't know if you're familiar with that stat. They have it in basketball too. It's basically, uh, if you're on the ice when the other team scores, uh, at a regular advantage, so if it's a yeah. five on five, they have, you have your five skaters, they have their five skaters, you have your goalie, they have their goalie, and they score, you are minus one for being on the ice when the other team scored. If you're on the ice when your team scores, you go plus one. And a measure of a good successful season for a player is that you finish more in the pluses, that way you identify that you were not a liability on the ice and that your mm-hmm. line was and not. you get more money at the end yeah. of the contract and stuff so yeah. Uh, yeah a best player in the end of the season with this plus minus would be in the plus 30s and the worst is usually somewhere in the minus 20s minus 30s at todd gill <laughs> it's the todd gill award you're right it's the todd <laughs> gill award he was a defenseman for the maple leafs in the 80s and 90s who uh to be fair his team was a dog poop in front of him but uh he yeah. was typically on the lower end of that scale every year yeah yeah and the whole assist thing gets a little weird in hockey too like you'll you know primary assists and secondary assists and well often often yeah now they label them but but often you'll see goaltenders who have points because they were the last person they were like the second last person to touch the puck like they gave it to the guy who skated Mm -hmm. like if you gave the puck to bobby Orr and he skated across the ice around everybody and put it in the net the goaltender would get an assist right um so there are there have been a couple of goaltenders who've scored goals by actually firing the puck up the ice, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you know, the other the other weird thing too, Jaime, is a goaltender is not allowed to skate across the center red line. Yep. Right. So I actually scored a goal once because I was oh. playing once with with a bunch of other people, and and I skated up, and we were we, it wasn't a full game; it was like a practice, whatever. And I and I and I you know beat the goal. Wait, so when they go anyway. empty, just to end this, because uh, I know it's late for y'all. So if if he, the, the goaltender, cannot go beyond the center line, when they go empty net, yeah. he's really just hanging out there oh, hoping that's a that... Rule. that no, it's a different... He's just yeah, hanging yeah. out there so, like close to the action, but not actually in the action for that part? He's getting ready to run to okay. the boards, yeah. So if they if yeah. they decide to go with an empty net, that means that they get to pull him off the ice and st- substitute him with a, a a forward skater as an opposed, to, to, opposed yeah. to him. That's the strategy is you pull your goalie out, you replace him with an offensive player. And that way, because yeah. there's no rule that says you have to have a goalie in net. It's just that you have to have six skater. You don't even have to have six skaters. It's that you can have up to six skaters. So yeah. you they can be all the forwards too, if you want. Yeah. yeah. So you can pull your goaltender out. You can put a offensive player in and it increases your likelihood of trying to score. The problem is that you've got a big empty net at the other end. The other team can then yeah. get free shots at. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Yeah. So it, it's specific to the goaltender that he cannot, he himself cannot pass. But if it was another non-goaltender, they can go everywhere. Yeah, they put that rule in place uh, probably 20 years ago, and it was to do with the fact that there used to be goalie fights. There would be, you yeah. know, times where, especially in a heated playoff series, there were some pretty bad ones between uh, Detroit and Colorado and a couple of these sort of rivalry groups where 
uh, when a when a fight would break out, it would break out usually down at the end of one end of the ice. There would be five skaters on five skaters, and the goalie would skate over and try and support one of his teammates, and the other goalie would skate all the way down the other end and start a fight with that goalie, saying, "You know, you guys have a six on five slugging advantage here." Yeah. And yeah. the NHL was like, "You know what? We cannot have our goaltenders skating the length of the ice to start fights." So they basically changed the rule to say, "Hey, by the way, uh, you can't do this anymore if you skate if you skate across that line." you're immediately ejected from the game mm, mm, okay so it's supposed to keep those line brawls under control keep them from having you know six guys punching six guys in hockey which doesn't happen all the yeah. time but it, in that era it certainly was happening more yeah but there i mean there's and you know they the coming back to the goaltender equipment thing they talked about making a net bigger it's it's four by six feet but um not measured in meters <laughs> <laughs> but uh Thankfully, they never did that because they they had some pretty weird ideas about that, right? So I thought some of those. I mean, were like good. I I have I have NHL regulation gloves now, and and I feel like I'm, a, I'm wearing kid gloves. They're they're so much smaller, right? So yeah. But then there was a time where I mean, I I could see it in recreational hockey again. I I dressed to the nines playing that. There was a guy goaltender. And I look up Arthur Zerbe. He was a little tiny guy. But he had giant pads. And a giant set of shoulder pads and a giant helmet yeah. and yeah. a jersey that was six times the size of him and 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 there was that guy who used to play for I think it was like Anaheim or something like that who had a huge, huge equipment like huge chest protector. Yeah, Philadelphia had a really infamous uh, gigantic yeah. goaltender at one point. But that was the problem yeah. is that they were basically letting guys sort of do all these different tricks to try and make themselves into yeah. you know uh, the old joke the sumo goalie in the net, and it was becoming yeah. you know kind of comedic in that you know there was no way in no world did you need a device that big. But they were doing it. So then they started putting mm -hmm. all these rules in, and then the goalies were complaining, like, oh, it's not safe for me. I'm getting hurt. I'm like, your uniform is made out of Kevlar. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But it still hurts when you get hit by a puck, even with equipment. You know what makes it hurt less? Huge paychecks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. That's what you were missing, Tim. You were missing huge that paychecks. Was, that was my problem. Yeah, the huge paycheck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, though, as a goaltender, like, it's sort of an unwritten rule as a goalie and even in pickup hockeys you generally don't pay to play because where are you going to get a goaltender right yeah um yeah so i mean there was a few leagues i had to pay but for the most part i never really had to pay for hockey in all the years i played yeah well there you go that's been your Spotcast hockey update we're here for you jaime we've always got you back if yeah. you need a little more we're here for yeah. you I appreciate yeah. it. So when you're ready, so when you're ready for the the understanding, it's funny. The very first time I, w I went to a hockey game with Carol, right, Jonathan's mother, we she said we we went down to to New York City, and she said, you know, well, you know, what should we do tonight? We can see a Broadway play, or we can go see the Rangers play. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Wayne Gretzky was on the Rangers at the time, right? And this was my third or fourth time seeing him play live. He's a he was an amazing guy to watch live, but. Um, so yeah, so we went and got we pick up we you found we talked to the concierge at the hotel and found out where to get tickets and so we went and saw the game and we're sitting there in Madison Square Garden right the hockey game starts you know the puck drops and and they start skating around and I look over at Carol she's got this real confused voice look on her face and I said there's no play by play announcer at a real game she's <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. like oh okay that's true that's true. No, no, no stories about talking to the coach. You know, what, what, what's this dude's deal? Is he, is he okay? How long is he going to play? It's just like, nope. 
general announcer in the uh, in the arena telling you know number forty five coming out yeah. two minute penalty. Yeah, and that, and it's interesting because you can actually hear the hockey, you can hear the skates on the ice, and you can hear the the players talking to each other, right? So, which is which is something you totally miss on unless you do like that. Sometimes at the All Star games, they put a microphone on players, and you'll hear them talking, bantering, you know, as they as they're playing. But yeah, it's it's a really interesting game when you're when you're on the ice or you're close to the ice, um, hearing that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's it's really weird. And then you know, then there's nothing like a playoff game. If you ever go to a playoff game, um, I saw I think I saw Ottawa. Was it you and me? Ottawa versus Toronto one year, Jonathan? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and that was the loudest room I've ever been in in my life. Like yeah, it was, that was just the playoffs, so right? loud. That was first round of the playoffs. Yeah, you know, I went and saw Ottawa, Toronto on a Saturday, and ended the playoffs. That was that was crazy. It was electric, phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the whole room, the whole like it was like you know, you know, you imagine what an EMP or static electricity. It's just it's just it was just like this entire mass, you know, yeah. twenty thousand people hysteria. just yelling and screaming and cheering and in the heartbreat of hockey. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it was. It was a good a good atmosphere, a hell of a place to watch a game. Yeah. If you got a lot of money. Yeah, they're expensive tickets. Anyway, well I wonder what the tickets prices are in, in uh for the Kraken. I don't know. Might be might be worthwhile. Maybe it might be cheap enough to get a plane <laughs> ticket. <laughs> Cheaper than the leaves, you know. <laughs> well that's always yeah. the joke, right? Especially for here in Ontario, it's actually you can catch cheap flights down to Florida for like a hundred bucks, like nothing. The joke was yeah. that you can Take a uh, cab to the airport, take a flight down to Florida, buy a pair yeah. of like front of the glass tickets to watch uh, a Florida Panthers from a scalper, or, yeah, a Florida <laughs> Panthers or a Tampa Bay Lightning game. Take a cab back, take a flight back, and you still won't pay as much as you paid to sit up in the nosebleeds in Toronto. Yeah, it yeah. looks like you know, right around the rink, like immediately is like uh, you're looking six hundred looks like the minimum wow and then the nosebleeds looks like 450 is the lowest i've seen so far can wow. you this is so single game ticket. Uh, hold on but this is like the first game though let me go to like yeah november yeah. I guess the, the, it'll always be that for our first game for yeah, sure yeah let me see yeah it's like no, two, you, two, two, 200 for the like the... section 212 which is nosebleedy what about here 256 225 yeah. 200 yeah yeah it'll come down over about 200 time, right? yeah um, I sent a link to Tim the other day. I don't know if he, he flipped it to you. I was thinking he sh I should, uh, yeah, get it to you. I mean, one of my pals, um, uh, lives out there and one of them posted on social. I have a few friends who work at Microsoft and a few different places in Seattle. One of them posted that he bought like a block of tickets and was willing to part with them at, uh, at like fair oh, yeah? price or whatever ticket price. Um, I think I, I think I said it to Tim the other day. I don't think he did. Okay. Let me... In Seattle? Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the guys who was um, is one of Darren's oh, yeah. friends out there. Hmm. Uh, I sent an attachment. It says right here. I sent it to you on uh, Sunday at five fourteen. Really? Mm -hmm. Maybe we went to spam because you know. know it's on uh, Messenger. On Messenger on uh, Facebook. Oh, Messenger. Yep. Oh, who reads that? Yep. Well, because that's where I saw it. Because that's where he posted it. Oh, JPK sent it. Oh, is that what that was? I thought it was a, a virtual arena. That's what I clicked on. It is, but I guess these are. The, this is the view of where his seats are, so you can see. Oh, I see that. So that link. Oh, that's like right on that, right on the glass. Yeah. Row C. Yeah. Hmm. So if you want, I, mean, okay, I can I send it. those to you if you're interested in trying to get to a game, because uh, you might have something that would be a little more affordable. It'd be interesting to check out. I, yeah. I still wonder. We're we're in kind of a weird mess. There's a whole. Um, 
battle over vaccine mandates for first responders and schools and etc oh, yeah. so i've i might not mind going to like an empty nosebleed section you know <laughs> like the the crappiest <laughs> seats that nobody wanted and they'd cut off to ourselves but um well we can't all have the uh empty imax theater to ourselves that's only for the lucky few yeah 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 yeah, yeah. man see two weeks passed already it's only a month away until i can watch uh, shang chi so time goes fast when you get older kids when you get older time goes fast trust me yeah. And just for reference, the last time Jonathan sent me a message on Messenger was January twelfth, twenty twenty one. Well, we we tend to be a little more communicative than that, so yeah, <laughs> that's that's probably the last time I sent you yeah. a Facebook message. Usually, it's hey, have you seen this random thing on Facebook? Even then, I usually yeah. just sent it to you on either Slack or on uh, or on uh, iMessage. The most annoying thing that I have on Facebook right now is is somehow more than just code ended up having its own identity on facebook to the more than just code podcast page so so every now and then i'll get like a link and i'll click on it and it takes me into facebook and switches me over to that other account i wish i could turn that off because <laughs> i and if i'd known whatever 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 button i pressed uh to turn that on i make it stop <laughs> like it's the most annoying thing you know i don't know how people like why would they think this this would be an enjoyable experience for people yeah to have your your account hijacked every time you touch your phone, mm. right? So stupid. Anyway. Okay, kids. Cool. Talk, Talk to, to you later. later. In a couple weeks. Bye. Bye. In the future. You mean in the oh, future? Oh, that's right. See you in the future. <laughs> okay, bye. I have too many computers open right now. Where's the off button? Stay a while. Stay forever. Yeah, bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.